On this episode, I talked with Vivian Viand. Vivian is a business development coach who specializes in group dynamics and collaboration. This can be internal team building, community engagement, or customer experience. She recently completed an internship with Disney and is now writing a book about her community engagement philosophy. Additionally, she is a longtime mentor of mine, a serial entrepreneur, kick-ass human being, and generally someone who is hard to introduce. On this episode, holy shit, we talked about just about everything under the sun from living in an eco-village all the way up to ADHD and a whole bunch of stuff in between. The episode ended up being just short of four hours, and I've spent a couple hours now trying to find the right place to cut it, but I've ultimately decided to leave it whole, not to interrupt the flow of the episode. Ironically, I'm quickly realizing that a lot of the editing process is simply accepting the fact that you can't change that many things in post, and you're better off leaving it the way it is. That being said, on with the episode. All right, so we're coming back for a second podcast. I have Vivian Valiant with me in the studio. Hopefully your last stop, name's stop, right stop. there. No, we got to go back. It's Vaillant. It's Vaillant? I know. We can even just leave this in. I, <laughs> I swear to God, I should change my last name because everybody wants it to be Valiant. I've, no, I've known you for like yeah. four years now. My entire time, it's been Valiant. I've never said Vaillant. And you know what's interesting? When I first met my husband at a business mixer, his <laughs> business partner introduced him to me as Paul Valiant. And I was like, oh, that's such a great last name. But it's actually V-A-I-L-L-A-N-T. And it's, yeah, it's the Vaya. Huh, well, that's hilarious. I know, we should just change it. Yeah. So I know Vivian through the Teen Entrepreneur Networking Club, which is a program that you used to run for how many years? Uh, I think we did four years. Yeah, four years at the Boys and Girls Club of Central Vancouver Island. And it's still running. It is still running, although Vivian is now just involved in an unofficial way. Yeah. Or even official, but not being paid. So, and go through going to the 10 club. <laughs> Vivian has a look on her face of like, there's so much she wants to say at that. Well, Vivian- I just, I want to say like the program was like such a highlight for me because I really like value community, right? And how do you have community when you don't have a place to go on a regular basis to have community? And I really like young people. And so the 10 club for me was this amazing opportunity to share my expertise and my ability to network and bring people in with people who really just wanted to learn how the world worked. And I really, really love that time. And it is hard for me that I've had to give it up because while I love it, I need to make time in my life. But the beautiful thing is that Frank Gowdy, who was one of my original members, has taken it over and he's running it now. So it's going to continue to run and he's going to continue to get the guest speakers and they're going to continue to do the work. And so it's a little sad for me to leave, but in a good way. It's funny because I was just going to say something along those lines, but from my point of view of the 10 Club is very much has done all the things which you're just saying, where it's kind of taught me to about business, but not only that, and like how to open doors. And when I have a crazy idea of I'm going to start a podcast how to go for it and get it done. So that's how I know Vivian. Vivian is one of those people, we ended up spending like 10 minutes before the podcast trying to figure out how to introduce her because she just wears all of the hats and has never really done like one formal thing forever. You've been all over the place, done just about everything. Yeah. (laughs) So like, how do you even introduce yourself when you're at a mixer or something? 
I, I, I do actually struggle with that because I also don't technically have any of the things you're supposed to introduce yourself with. Like I I'm four credit, four credit short of an ed degree at U of A. So do I say I have an ed degree? No, I studied education at the university of Alberta, but I don't technically have that degree. I also studied business. I have run seven businesses. I have lived in four countries. I have three kids. I'm a stay at home mom partly. I have lived in an eco village. Basically, I have at some point somewhere along the way, somebody taught me that if you dream it, you can have it. And I like variety. And so I just make myself bucket lists and I find ways to tick things off of bucket lists and I just find ways to make things happen. So, and I also, once I've figured out how something works and I'm done with it, I've learned to move on. I've learned to say like the, the teen entrepreneur club. Yeah, just like the 10 club. It's, it's, this has been really fun and really soul filling. And now I need room for something new. And in order to move on and do something new, we have to let go of the, the birds in our hands, you know? And so I guess I'm a variety adventure seeking. You're a variety junkie. Entrepreneur. (laughs) A special kind of addict. (laughs) Yeah. A very special kind of addict. They're hard to track. They're never in the same place twice. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you get to the place where you are now? That's always like the big question. Because I know you, I've always known you as this like crazy entrepreneur, as you're just saying, variety. Like one, one week you're running the 10 club. The next week you're like running this charity fundraiser or you're sending me and another person to this thing that's not a cult or like (laughs) whatever other project it is that it's bounced on your brain. Like Uh, how did you, were you always like this or did you wake up one day and just start taking things off? Yeah. So I graduated high school. I had a really horrible high school experience. Ouch. I mean, no, I didn't. That's not true. Both (laughs) and, right? I didn't have the normal high school experience that, and I don't think anybody did, that experience that like, you know, you go off to school and you join the sorority and then you like go to the football games and you Normal high school experience is almost an oxymoron. And you do this like whole thing. I like ate, breathed, and slept in the theater program. I I know things about myself now that we didn't know back then, which is that I have ADHD. And so I didn't like to focus. I wouldn't read long books. I could talk my way out of anything. Like I could literally (laughs) like negotiate anything. So I had the very good fortune of having a drama teacher named Jerry Enns who understood that I needed to get through high school and that I had to get the credits to get the fuck out of there. Sorry, I'm going to swear. Is that okay? Oh, we are all for swearing. Okay. We're going straight to explicit. So, uh, and so he just made me a special project, which was like, okay, Vivian, there's this one-act festival. It needs to be organized. Go ahead and organize it, and we'll give you some credit for it. And I kind of figured out how to do it, and then it went so well, they were like, okay, well, why don't you do it again the next year and the next year? So I have 15 high school credits for coordinating a festival at my high school where I'd even go oh, the extra length, and I'd go, hey, do you want to sponsor our program? And we get like sponsorship money for putting like local realtors into our, our program and all of these extra kind of things. So I really got to see through that a heck of a lot more than I would have gotten if I had just stayed in chemistry and physics. I graduated without a, a, a science or math at the 30 level. Wow. And then I put my tail between my legs and I went back and I did homeschooling or not homeschooling after school, night school. And I did my math and I did my socials on my terms as a distance program that was designed for people who are working full time and I actually turned out to be pretty smart. Okay, I can do this and continue on <laughs> high school. But I did. I spent between 18 when I got out 
to 20 waiting tables, working in pastry shops, doing those like menial kind of jobs Yeah, and realizing that I wasn't going to be able to keep it up. And like, I'm not going to tell you which job, but there was a job where I figured out how to nap in the back room (laughs) (laughs) because I'd get all my work done really fast and then go have a nap and then I'd come back. I'm not telling you where that was so that I don't get like fired They're going to hunt from, you down. I don't know. <laughs> what are they going to do? I have no idea if they didn't be able to later. find me. I've even changed my name. Yeah, they'll so, come find you. But like, I really just hated the grind. I hated it. And then I met some people. That's not true. My dad bribed me with pizza to see the demonstration of a face paint machine. And I'd been all into this theater stuff. And I was doing these dinner theaters and I was selling them. And I was basically, we loved doing them, but we were making like $4 an hour by the time we were done paying ourselves for the planning and the rehearsal and all of this stuff. And then we'd get to the show and everybody just wanted to drink. And so it really wasn't <laughs> that awesome. But I had all of these really artistic people and I've now started university and my dad bribes me with pizza to see this demonstration of this face paint machine. And by the time the demonstration's done, I'm doing it. And I'm like, Hey, this is so cool. Who's doing this at the fringe festival. I'll take it to the fringe festival. Nobody. Well, well there you go. Well, I go home and I'm like, Oh, I can't do it. So my dad was the one who was like, no, you can actually, you can let's work out a deal. And you just take this machine to the fringe festival. So in 10 days, the deal was I was supposed to be selling this face paint machine on behalf of this company, $10,000 airbrush face painting kit. I would give them 50% of the income from my painting and they would supply everything. At the end of 10 days, I had made enough money to cover university, which I had signed up for. I had no that fucking clue how I thought I was paying for university. Like I hadn't year? applied for student loans. Yeah, first year. I showed up, All I get my, my program wow. and they're like, hey, stand here and pay. And I'm like, stand here and pay, what? You gotta, I literally didn't know you had to pay for <laughs> university. Like I was pretty clued out. And uh, I stood in line and I got to the front and they're like, you're going to have to pay like, I think at the time it was like $3,500 for the year or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, good thing I just made that at the Fringe Festival. <laughs> Here you go. And I, I think I even like, I don't think I paid it cash, but you know what I mean? Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't need a loan. And then I just kept doing these little gigs here and there. And then I'd hear from my clients like, oh, I'd actually really like a magician too. And I was like, well, I know people who do magic. I could probably get you a magician. And, nerd well, I could off. probably get this. And then as we traveled, we'd, we'd go off and do big events. Like we went to Toronto and we were kind of going all over and I would see things in other communities and say, oh, wow, this is really cool. And we don't have this in Edmonton. Well, maybe I'll bring it to Edmonton. So I wouldn't just go buy it. I'd like pretend I had it. I'd phone some clients and be like, hey, we've got this new thing. You know, do you want to book it for your Christmas party? And they'd be like, yeah, that's great. And once I had three people signed up, I'd be like, okay, let's buy this wax hands thing or <laughs> let's genius. buy this thing. So I just built this little company totally by accident with no skills in business. I had 16 staff members. We were going across oh Canada gosh. every summer. I was taking university students across Canada every summer. And then we come back and we would do the, like the back to school rush, the Halloween rush, the Christmas rush. There would be this nice break where I could go backpacking and learn new things and find new things. And then we'd hit, you know, your, you've got your uh, spring picnic season and uh, like after school, like school letting out kind of stuff. So and basically kind of I thing. built something that then became so mis, like so disorganized and so stressful that I started to get like events would come up like Canada Day. Canada Day, we would have events in seven different locations. That I would is have 32 people that I would have to do payroll for after who were working at all of these different events. <sighs> and I crushed myself with spreadsheets and payroll and HR. And I hated it, 
so I sold it. Then, I mean, kind of halfway through that, I started a fair trade company with my sister, and we were doing, uh, we had 78 women from 10 villages that were hand-sewing um, throw pillows and duvet covers, and we were bringing them back as a fair trade commodity. Okay, hold on, hold on there. You're like going at full speed here, which I can't blame you for because like that's kind of your life. But yeah, how I, did you get I'm into not doing even the fair trade yet. thing? I think I'm 25 now. Like, I mean, like yeah. So I know you you were backpacking for a while. Did yeah. you did you or your sister just like see it, that it was a niche kind of thing? Or? So we were on the way to Hong Kong. Ironically, as we're going through COVID. We were on our way to Hong Kong to go to a very specific gift and premium show. This is before you could buy crap on Amazon. You got to remember, like there wasn't, like, there yeah. was internet, but there was no content See, on the internet. That would change things a lot. So, but we were we were going to the show, and we had a twenty thousand dollar bankroll, and I think in like pennies and nickels and dimes, made in China stuff. We were looking for stuff that we could, like, brand for things like the Calgary Stampede. So it's called merch. So we Makes were looking sense. for merchandising for. Shows like the Calgary Stampede because... Were you being paid like by the Calgary Stampede? Or no, was I was just going and I was going to find it. And then I knew and that like if I walked in and or... I said, hey, we have these things and we can brand it with your show. And what do you want? Makes sense. Like, so basically we were going, we weren't going to buy all that much of anything. We were just going to buy and do a test batch yeah. and see what they were interested in. Right. And so like water balders were just becoming a thing. Like all the stuff you have way too much of in your life that's branded really wasn't happening yet. So we were kind of in that mode. However, back then when you got a flight that went to another, like overseas, you got stopovers. So we always planned it. So we would like do our trip and we'd end up in Hong Kong and do our show, but we would do a little holiday in, in two different places, one on our way there and one on our way back. Well, we got as far as Lao PDR, which is where we were working. And SARS was like, it broke out in Hong Kong. And wow. it actually broke out right in the district where our gift and premium show was supposed oh to be. Gosh. And we were like, uh, I don't think we can go. But not only that, they canceled the show. They were like, no, you can't yeah. come here. Like, like this was the first time we went through this COVID thing. Wow. And so we were like stuck in Lao. Like, and SARS was killing way more people. Like, well, it wasn't I don't really know. The same I, way. I don't know what the numbers were. And I, I know it got quashed very quickly, but at the time it was really yeah. super scary and it was in Vietnam. So like our flight out was supposed to be from Vietnam. So we were like, I don't know. So we just stayed in Laos. Like we're like, well, we're in this like tiny little middle of nowhere mountain village. Let's hang out here. And what wow. we learned was the people there were happier than anybody we'd ever met. They had nothing, they had nothing, yeah. but they were just nice people and they knew we were there they, they incorporated this into their village life. And I remember saying to Sheila, you know what? It'd be great if we could take this bankroll and we could support rather than just buying like made in China crap that we're going to put names of businesses on and sell. What if instead we like went with this, I've heard of this fair trade thing. Like what if we did that here? And, and we were like, Oh, that would be so good. Meanwhile, we're walking through a day market and we're picking up these beautiful throw pillows and, and purses and all of this stuff. And I was like, Holy man, what if we did it with this stuff? So sometimes when you're on a good path, the universe just does it for you. So we basically came up with that idea. And over the course of the next three weeks, we bumped into somebody who was an expat who was willing to be our translator. Well, there you go. <laughs> we bumped into somebody who worked for the Lao Women's Union, who was able to help us with all of the cleaning yeah. of the things. 
just the community ah, the computer monitors there just decided to so, yeah, so they're all it's all good don't still recording story, Vivian. <laughs> the universe is like don't have this to is too it. much information for people anyhow yeah and then like, we would bump into you. a problem and i'd be like wow we just can't figure this out and then the answer would just come like like wow. the first one was like oh the elders aren't responding to us and then somebody gave us a book called um doing the, the Thai, about the thai smile and how when you're doing business in thailand you never furrow your brow because that is a sign huh. of aggression. So wow. we're going in and with our North American brains, we're like, we really want to do this. And how would we do this? And in our culture, people will intentionally furrow their brow to show they're thinking about a hard problem. Yeah. There, that means <laughs> it's aggressive, right? <laughs> oh my so gosh. we had to like back up, like Botox would be the best way to do business in, <laughs> in Thailand and Laos, oh let me gosh. tell you, because you have to go in and you have to like hold your face in this wow. really innocent kind of thing yeah. and you have to pause and you have to let them talk and you let, let them sit and think. And it's very different doing business there than it is at home. So long story short, we ended up organizing 78 women from 10 villages into I guess they were from 10 villages and we were in five sewing co-ops. The uh, World Vision got involved so that we were able to distribute the project in a way that made sense with the demographic. So we didn't have like one ethnic tribal community host holding the contract and then just sub I see, yeah. it. So there was just a lot of learning there. Yeah. Super awesome. Got home way harder at home because we have a different way of doing things here. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but we still, like, I, I was like, okay, well I want to do fair trade and I don't want to be not for profit. I want to change the way I do business and I want to do ethical business. This is before C corps. This is before this existed. You were yeah. either a charity or you were a money grubbing business and there was <laughs> nothing in between. And I was like, bullshit. I want to be good for the world. I want to provide a beautiful product and I want to pay the people making the product a fair wage. What the hell's wrong with this? I need a little bit of help getting going. But I couldn't get into the fringe because it wasn't made by the person selling it. I couldn't get into the big Calgary Stampede shows because I didn't have enough product to get through because uh, it was too specialized. Yeah. So there were all of these little problems. And so we solved all the problems and worked it out. Did you have like an actual fair trade logo back then? It's funny you describe all these struggles and now this is like it's a just class a thing. of product. I know. Like- it was at the very beginning of realizing that you needed to certify. And at the time, the problem was there were so many certifications popping up, but they were just like, uh, Walmart yeah. came up with its own version of a certification at one point <laughs> that was like, just like, just we're going to stamp things with it. And That's kind of hilarious. I mean, Walmart I don't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't trade. throw Walmart under the bus, but it was like that. It was just like, people were like, we need a, okay, you, me, and that guy over there, let's make a certification process. I need to pay $50. Now we're all certified. Like it was just yeah. all over the place. And I think that there's, especially with that and, and certified organic was very similar at the time. Like it was just like, yeah, I'll certify you. Sure. Give me 50 bucks. You're certified <laughs> where, and there wasn't like the government wasn't overseeing yeah. what it meant to be certified. And that's happening now. So it was total cowboy time. When I got home, um, Paul and I didn't do a lot. We, we don't really talk when we're away, we're away. So he goes off to Microsoft conferences and we don't talk for two weeks. Wow, I'd that's gone intense. Off, I'd been gone for six weeks and we'd talk occasionally, but I hadn't really mentioned to him that I was, you know, starting a new business with my sister while I was away. So how long, so you, okay, you were, <laughs> let me get this straight. You were in, were you engaged to Paul or were you yeah, we just were, dating? Yeah, we were married, I think. Or no, we weren't quite. We were, we were living in sin <laughs> and we were, uh, we how, were living were in the basement of a house that we owned and that we were renting the upstairs for the price of the mortgage. And we were living nice. cheap in the basement. 
Uh, we can talk all about all of the hacks of how we, we did that kind of stuff. Yeah. I got home and I was like, I have news. And he was like, so do I. And I was like, well, my news is, um, Sheila and I started this new company and we've got 4,000 pieces of Lao handicraft coming. They should be here within, you know, five to six weeks. I've got to figure this out. I need to figure out some storage wow. and all this. And he was like, oh, well, my news is I think I'm ready to get married and have kids. And I was like, <laughs> uh, That's okay. a conflict. So let's see how fast I can go. I don't know. So, so I did that. And then, uh, Paul and I had, uh, computer, like more like, kind of like my tech guys, like more of the fixing of computers and yeah. setting up systems and things uh, called Ecota Central. And you ran this as a business? Yeah. Nice. I was very back end. He was much more front end and Hubert was uh, his partner. He came with this business. So this was what he was doing for. And then we had uh, Vantera. It was a telephony kind of company. And then when the kids were really little, we... And we were doing the real estate stuff. So that was the other major business we had was buying real estate. And, and Okay. So, so you were how old and had how many businesses going at this point? Um, one, two, three, four, oh four. And then when, four was the, I think four is the highest number we've ever had. Wow. So four businesses. You're both living I in the know, basement together. I know, but like you can't really count. Like real estate is like Yeah, really it's obviously different. very like, different kinds. The thing that I've... I know about myself is that I build things that pulse. So I would never do well running a nine to five business on fifth street where I had to be there yeah. to open the door at five at nine and be there until five. I would especially not be able to do retail. I know this because of my experience with the fair trade stuff. I'm not very good at organizational stuff. <sighs> and, um, I really don't like picking threads off things, which everything that came from Lao. I, that was the experience of that. So, um, so at that, by that point, we had figured out that we had had children and we really didn't want to be in the rat race. And so we've done all these crazy things, traveled all over the world. I worked, I did the Olympics in, in Sydney, Australia. I, I worked in, I, for the BBC in London. Wow. I was doing the Mardi Gras every year. I had nothing that looked anything like a semblance of a normal life. And somehow yeah. there was like money piling up and then we would buy properties with it and do whatever. But we were, we now had young children and I was m missing that because there was just so much going on. Makes sense. And we came to realize that we were all full up. And what I mean by that is we had more than enough money. I'd had this experience in this developing country where I could 100% decorrelate wealth and happiness because some of the very poorest human beings that I have met were happier than any of my neighbors back home. I think that's one of the most profound things people get out of traveling that is just so hard to do if you stay in the West or keep your media in the West. Because as soon as you get anywhere where like marketing campaigns become such a big thing, it's you're always told the key to happiness is right around the corner and there's a toll fee of 10 bucks to get there. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you just need this new Coca-Cola or you need this like new car. You're missing upgraded you need a daily routine with a new workout. 3.0 or, or 6.0, yeah. 10.0, the newest upgrade now. All of this. Yeah. And we know, I know we know in our heart that it's not going to make us happier. 
but we just but don't it, know where else to go. That's but, the thing. Like, yeah. And if so, you're some unhappy person, what else do you do? It's like, that's what you look forward to. So, and if you haven't ever been out of the box and so one of the things I think is a blessing, but maybe as a curse for trying to live in this world, like trying to live in a world of birthday presents and then Christmas presents and then Halloween presents. And then like, Oh my God, now we're buying each other Valentine's day presents and family day presents. And there's mother's day and there's father's day and it's all <laughs> stuff and stuff and stuff. And me just not like I value it on a different scale set now. And now I've got these young kids and I'm time is more important to me than anything. So we decided that the most important thing we could do in our lifetime was get to BC. So hmm. we were in Edmonton. What made you think you wanted to go to BC? Well, like... I actually wanted to go to Australia cause I hate snow, but <laughs> I also wanted my grand, the grandparents for my children involved in their life. So the warmest weather I could have and stay in Canada was Vancouver area. That's hilarious. So that's how that's what was decided. And that was like negotiated. Like before I married Paul, it was like, I am not dying in the tundra. We are moving. And we want to stay in Canada. So it's funny that you, you say you hate snow, but you live in BC. Cause we have some of the best, like we have world-class skiing, snowboarding, uh-huh. like people come from around the world for our snow. And it's up on the <laughs> mountain where it can be useful. It is kind of the perfect, perfect place for it. Like at least on the Island, we normally get a couple weeks of snow and then the rest of it's just hiding on the mountain. And it stays up there where it's useful. And when in Edmonton, you have to shovel it like at your age, yeah. At least twice a week, I would have to go out and shovel the sidewalk. Wow. Like, so people could walk. And here, we, we have to do that for a couple of weeks. It's this nice little reminder, like, oh, yeah. how lucky we only have to do this for two weeks. But that was like six months. You could be shoveling in May. And then you have the melt, which is almost worse, because then you have all the nastiness coming out. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's brutal. So anyhow, so I didn't, we'd bought this beautiful show home in St. Albert because we thought this was going to be the small community experience. I'd go to mother groups and I had good mom friends around me, but I also had like the moms that would sit around and talk about their next plastic surgery or <sighs> their, you know, their was next this in BC major was purpose this in... In, when I was still in St. Albert in okay. Alberta. And I love St. Albert. I've left some really good people behind there. So in, by no means do I mean to be bashing St. Albert, but it wasn't yeah. me. I didn't care if I had the newest purse or the newest hairstyle or the newest, I didn't want to put those gel things on my nails. That was not me. And I felt out of place there. I felt like a hippie living in this really conservative boob upgraded town. (laughs) Not to say that all the moms in St. Albert have boob upgrades, but I just like, I just like, as far as playing on the exaggeration and moving here to BC, it was like, okay, well, I can't, we're just like, what are we going to do? Throw a dart and just pick some random town? Like, how do you pick where to move to yeah. for the rest of your life? That is really a tough dilemma. Like, So if you don't have, we didn't have any real, like we had some family in the lower mainland, but Yeah, if you don't have something to tie you down, it's kind of a big blessing, but a huge curse because you've got the whole world to pick. Exactly. So, so anywhere you can get a And we had visa. had this experience of living in like a neighborhood that had looked like it was going to be really like friendly and it really turned out to not be what I wanted. So we heard about this thing called intentional community and co-housing. And we started looking into that and we did have an aunt and uncle in Abbotsford and my sister was in Vancouver. So there were a couple of projects in the lower mainland and we went out to the Yarrow Eco Village and we fell in love with it and we got involved with that project. And we lived there in 800 square feet with three small children and had 
a wonderful time and we were building new houses and I took on the marketing. So I would do the tours and I would try to help people figure out if they wanted to move there. And I used to say like the house is free and this is just a really expensive personal development class because living in intentional community pushes you to be your best person on a daily basis or you will literally be miserable. So wow. it was a great experience. It seems like a tough sell though. Like if, yeah. if from a personal point of view, if you're offering me a place to stay and the pitch is, if you don't do a ton of work, you're going to be miserable. That kind of scares me, but I'm, I'm really curious what you meant by that. But, like, okay. So there is a sub, so, uh, two kinds of groups of people are most of the time, the people that would come through the door looking for community. One was people with children under five. Yeah. Cause you're suddenly inundated with like, Oh my freaking God, we're never going to have friends. We're never going to see anybody. Where's my village? Where's my village? <laughs> and so people like literally like pick up and move to the village. Um, and the other one is we, ha- we seem to really attract a lot of single empty nesters or hmm. empty nesters in general, right? Yeah. You don't see a lot of people with teenagers moving into intentional community for the first time. Makes sense. They've either bought into it or not. But you get to that point where now you're raising your kids and you're like suddenly like, for me, it was, I really want my kids to be outside playing in a gaggle of children till the streetlights come on. Yeah. And I don't want to cook every meal. Wouldn't it make sense for me to cook for multiple people and have people eat my meal and then some nights no, just No, it, it go? makes a ton of sense. Like, so right? humans have been doing it since the dawn of time. And so, and so we found this place where we had that. We, we could... We could sign up on a, cr- a kitchen crew and I would cook a meal once a month and we would eat three days a week the rest of the time. So six o'clock would roll up. We'd just roll out. We were eating in a barn at the time. We'd roll up. We'd, we'd eat. We'd all the kids would gaggle together at one table. We had all these like adopted grandparents everywhere and then somebody would go and gather all the dishes. We took our own dishes in so we'd take our dishes home. We'd just wash our own little dishes and it was just this amazing gratitude. I remember wow, looking out yeah. the window one time on the phone with somebody who was like, what's it really like to live there? And I was like, well, let me tell you out the window right now, I'm watching a gaggle of four to seven year olds who have picked up a tractor tire using leverage and a log and a two by four, and they've tossed it onto its side and they are now wheeling it towards my house. I think they're trying to take it to the trampoline so they can get on the trampoline, but I don't know. There's no parent in sight but there's a lot of eyes on them from mindful windows. And so my children are having this experience of true freedom and friendship. My three-year-old is following them. My three-year-old is outside without me. You don't get that in normal society. Yeah, you really don't. And now let's go to the part where I say it's a professional development class because now you are sharing a farm. Your kids are bumping into other people's kids. There are other adults that maybe sometimes just want it to be quiet you are making decisions about how a village is going to be laid out, what color buildings are going to be, whether or not you need space for a guest room or not. You have to share the bills. Some families have more money. Some families have less money. We're still human. Yeah. We're getting triggered left, right, and center. So again, this is an experience that we had where we constantly experienced the very best of our neighbors and the very worst of our neighbors And they saw the very best in us and the very worst in us. And every day you have to make a choice to let bygones be got bygones and get up and still keep working for the ultimate thing that you're working for, which is that you're going to pay this price of discomfort and vulnerability 
in return for kids playing outside or putting your kids to bed and seeing somebody started a bonfire. And so you wander out with your cup of tea and you sit around the bonfire and you've actually had some human engagement because all of our baby monitors work at the bonfire. (laughs) So now you're not stuck at home staring at the same Netflix, feeling resentful to the dude sitting beside you scrolling on his phone, right? Like you just have a, a much richer life. Yeah, but you have much more discomfort too. And there's a lot of there was a lot more work. You're really to, touching on so. my experience. Like I've never been in intentional community, but just getting to know people who have either been to intentional communities or even living on smaller places like Hornby, it really seems like overall life is just much richer, but there's much more like joys, but there's also much more discomfort because everybody's yeah. weighing each other's space. And you just have all the issues that go along with and that. And you have signed up for it. And you have to intentionally. Yeah. Like this is where the intentional part is, is you have intentionally chosen that. And I think a lot of people just aren't ready for that. And they don't really realize <laughs> what they're getting into. Yeah. So I say this because Vivian no longer lives in an intentional <laughs> community. <laughs> and, I, and I will again. I, I'll say that there will come a time in my life where I will. I ended up on the island because my sister was pregnant with her first child and she'd been in Vancouver and I was a quick drive away and then her husband actually got transferred here. Like who gets transferred to the Comox Valley, but he had been transferred here and there was no version of reality where I was letting my sister be isolated in a community and not have me as there as part of her village. So we, uh, the house that we were supposed to be building was taking a lot longer to build than we had thought. And originally what we said was, okay, we don't know when our house is going to be built. We can't do 800 square feet anymore. We're still in, we're still going to come back, but we're going to move to the island at least for a little while while my sister's getting settled. And when you get our house done, you know, give us a call. We have to like take some sanity right now. Yeah. And when we Where got to the island- Where were you guys living before the house? If your house wasn't done, like where were you living? We were living, we were renting a one, one plus den. For, oh wow. For the so just like one room? Yeah, one or, bedroom and then a den that didn't have a door. And, and how old were your kids at the time? They were. Uh, Millie was nine months, and so then if you count up from Millie, oh like they gosh. were like four and five. That's the only time you can live in a one plus den. Like, could you imagine your family living in a yeah, one plus no, den now? I can't. Like, and so we I, were I guess we were slowly outgrowing that space. Yeah, I was starting and going back to like I know when to let things go. I'm after the genuine experience until it's no longer serving me. And there were bumps in the road, and that was all very good. And then there came a point where I was starting to feel like I was building bitterness towards the project yeah. and to the people that wasn't going to go away, and that that's my choice. I can stay and hold on tight and be super bitter. And trust me, there are people who still live there who have gone that way. Yeah. Or I can come out and like go back in. There's lots of people who go in and out of intentional community and you process things differently. So we got to the island and settled in and had this amazing experience that it is to be in the Comox Valley. And when the phone rang and they said like, Hey, your house, the framing is going up. Are you coming back? Like, are you, do you want this house? And the late, the girl who phoned me, the lady who phoned me also had three children and she had been in a dome house, which is a super interesting, awesome, very yeah. small house. And her kids were the same size as mine. And she phoned and she's like, are you coming back? And I was like, why? And she's like, well, if you're not coming back, I kind of want your house. 
<laughs> I was like, oh my God, I would love it if you got my house. Cause I don't really want to come back. Like my, my, yeah, nephew, my daughter's perfect. pregnant with her second now. I don't really want to leave them. It's easier for my parents for yeah. us to be in the same place. Well, I just, and I just like, I designed that house for a family right with there, three like, kids. Yeah. Go for it. So she did. So she's now in, I don't know where, if she still is or not, but, um, she's now in our house the house we built for three, there was only two big houses like that that were put into the plan. So yeah, they have one and somebody else does. Um, and we settled into the Comox Valley. And so since the Comox Valley, what's happened here? So kids went into school. I, ha, um, well, you, you said that you had like the Comox Valley experience. I'm really curious what you mean by that, because my family moved to the Comox Valley when I was, at a time where I wasn't really putting myself out there that much. So I wasn't like, if you put me into a new town now, I'm like, let's, I'm going to go find all where all the cool trails are. Where do the like outdoorsy people hang out? I'm going to like take advantage of it. But back then I was just like, my console has been moved. My TV is in a different room. <laughs> like it wasn't changing much. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. staying inside in this house or I'm staying inside in that house. It was like a change of a room more than it was of a yeah. change of a town. I think from my so, perspective as a parent, one was, so one of the things we had wanted for moving to the Eco village was we were really looking for this one mile living. Yeah. And we lucked into this house on Church Street, downtown Comox, that happens to be actually walking distance from the rec center, the, the library, grocery the store, school. the marina, their school, the rec, like everything is within walking distance. And going back to how Paul and I are really intentional about things, we wanted our kids to have a lot of freedom early on. And while they had that within the confines of the eco village, the confines, it makes it sound like a cult. It was not a cult. <laughs> it's like stratified. It's very, very legal and legit. But um, there wasn't really anything else. Like if they wanted to do school, well, they for the Francophone school anyways, they had to be on a bus. Yeah. Groceries, you had to get in a car to get a big amount of groceries. You could get your farmer's stuff. Like we, we had a CSA program. We had farmers that lived at the eco village that we supported and there yeah. was a deli and there was an ice cream stand, but there really wasn't like a whole heck of a lot. We were kind yeah. of in the middle of nowhere for everything else in life. And we just saw as we would, where was the eco village located? Like, was it it's, outside of town or was it, I'm yeah. assuming it's like out of the way. It's in a little uh, community on the lower mainland on the way to cultist Lake. So it's this. Okay. I don't know what it looks like now. Apparently it's, it's, it's like developed a little bit more since yeah. we left, but as you're driving from Vancouver, you kind of get to Chilliwack yeah. and then you turn down and it technically it's a part of Chilliwack. Huh. Uh, so how far out of it is like, if you have to go to the grocery store, what's your commute like? Uh, Garrison Crossing would have been the closest like grocery store. Yeah. And that was probably 15 minutes away. If you wanted a superstore, it was probably okay. another was a half an hour. So it wasn't crazy. Like, it's not like people living on a tiny little island who are like taking a ferry or a no, couple ferries but across. I am but... deeply committed to this one mile, like everything huh. on the edge of my seat. And so I feel like I got that more at the Comox Valley than I did through huh. my intentional yeah. choice for the eco village. For sure. That's curious to me. Cause like, I've always thought for myself, I'm going to settle down somewhere. I was thinking like, Intentional community sounds great to me because I feel like most of our time ends up being spent when we're at home is just hanging around. So you might as well be somewhere really nice mm -hmm. because like you only go to the grocery store once a week versus how many hours do you spend at home? 
So it kind of makes sense to me, like I'd rather have, at least in theory, a longer commute to the grocery store than, and then have like a really nice place when I'm at home. Yeah. But so I'm curious, like I can see though, especially with kids, that I, would be I think a big that problem. It, but everything changed again for us. Like there, it's sort of like an aligning of stars. And and here's my, if I can give you a message. Yeah. It's that you don't have to be one thing for your whole life and you don't have to do one thing. I did a children's entertainment company, a computer company, a fair trade clothing company. I have a dis- smorgasbord taste bud. Like there are people in the world who go to a 50 foot buffet and they walk the buffet and they go, I'm going to have the chicken <laughs> and the beans and I'm going to have the pastry puffs and mashed potatoes. And that's what they eat. I am the person that goes down that buffet and I put one teaspoon of everything I've never tried before. Forget the mashed potatoes. I know what those taste like. Give me that weird looking salad in the corner. Oh, I've had a teaspoon of it. Good enough. And off <laughs> I go. So I've, I, when I got to the Comox Valley, that was the point where the kids were starting to be in school. Yeah. And we have some really great things. Uh, one was Strong Start. So while my older two were in school, my youngest and I could go to Strong Start. And there were other moms there. So I met moms really quickly. I had... Uh, this inside information from these moms about different yeah. hiking paths and beaches. And there's just so much to do beyond that just sense of community. Like, like at the eco village, we had a great little farm community and there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of variety for me. Yeah. I can right? see that there. It's like we're here. It's like, I still haven't gone to every, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but I still haven't gone to every restaurant and every store and every, everything. Like I yeah, still there's just have so much enough to do. But it's not overwhelming. And I can still get to Vancouver. I can get to Nanaimo. I barely ever go, but I could. I think a lot of people so. do find the Comox Valley is kind of the sweet spot for them in terms of like you're close enough to the big leagues, but you're not like in the rush of Vancouver yeah. or like and Whistler or anything the crazy. The other thing that changed was I needed kids to be street level and available when my kids were really little. As they've gotten older, they don't just play with whoever's there. They start to have their own interests and their own people. And they want yeah. to be doing like buns into Taekwondo. And Sophie was into makery stuff and Millie's into gymnastics. And so they are not going to get that out of the one mile that we had there. So our circumstances just changed again. So I really think what would be great is if everybody who was pregnant could automatically move into a village and live there until their kids were old enough that they like had that freedom five of experience of like not feeling completely overwhelmed. And yeah. then they could move into like an area like the Comox Valley. Like, I just feel like I've, I've won at every level of where we're at with how we've chosen to live and where we've chosen to live. Will we stay in the Comox Valley? I don't know. I don't yeah. know what's going to come next for us, but we'll stay as long as it's serving us. I think that's a really smart things to go about. Like, just to think about your life and go about things like that's really kind of unique because I don't think nearly that many people have that kind of intentionality I think it's more common now as like movements like minimalism or any of the other ones have kind of taken off over social media and stuff but I do think that makes a huge difference for your happiness if you're intentional about like I'm staying here because it has these reasons instead of just like it suits I guess I'm here now right now right yeah so yeah. I don't, I don't know where I picked that. I think it just comes down to the intentionalness. It's not easy. It's not easy. No, it's like, certainly not. Electing to give up something that you love because you know that it's time 
still is sad. Like I'm still sad to not have 10 club, but I know I have a finite amount of energy and time. I've, there's unlimited, even, even if you don't have money, there is an unlimited capacity to make money. It is not finite. The scarcity model that we work on is totally ridiculous and silly. Well, that's how the advertising agencies get you. They're like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) buy now. It's it's gone next week. Sale, sale, sale. At the same time, we have a finite number of hours on this planet. Yeah. And we don't even know how many that is. That could be like, I could have four more months on this planet, or I could have 40 more years on this planet, or I could have yeah. 600. I was going to well, say, you could even have who knows? Like, like By the time I get to 100, they may be able to download my brain and put me in an Android. I might live forever. Yeah. We don't know. But what, what that knowing that for me means that I have the responsibility to myself to make sure that I'm, I'm getting as much as I'm giving out of whatever it is that I'm doing in life. Yeah. Well, I really like that really resonates with me. It's always like, especially I feel like for young people growing up today, because everyone's so hyper conscious of how the world is supposedly ending with climate change or even just politics. Now COVID there's all these like kind of the zeitgeist is now just stressed out because it really does feel like things are falling apart. Like it's, it almost feels like we're growing up on a sinking ship in some levels. It's kind of weird though, because on, on one level, we have that going on, like ask any con- conservationist and they'll tell you about like 40 different ways in which the world is falling apart. We're losing all our nature and we're all doomed. And then you go and talk to someone in Silicon Valley and they're like, we're almost at Mars. We're going to live forever. This is great. <laughs> so it's this weird like duality of just depends on who you talk to. But it is definitely like growing up in this. I think it's one of the most weirdest times to be alive just because of the rate of change it's that we have. It's definitely getting weirder. I mean, the the world was ending when I was your age too. It was acid rain and it was for the Cold War and it was all sorts of other things. I think the world is ending, but it's going to take a lot longer. Like everything actually moves a lot slower than we think. So we, well, that, we do that's have the, the responsibility like, to the planet to make better can't choices. can't think non-linearly. Like we can't think in terms of a curve. So that's one of the classic problems that people always cite when it comes to something like AI, which your husband does a lot of, or even something like climate change, is that we can't think in exponentials. So like we can only think of 10 years ago, things look like this, so 10 years ago, we can imagine like 10 years of change. But it's, it's mind-boggling when you think about, like in the last 100 years, there's been more innovation in the last like 100,000, or maybe even 100 million. Like I think it's almost 20 years ago or something, like iPhone didn't there's, exist. There's Social media rise, didn't exist. Because we the actually same haven't way. gotten to my Disney internship, but I'm going to skip ahead for a second. To, at, in Disney, there's a ride in the Epcot ball that goes through like civilization and, and all of the main, like when we invent writing and then the printing press and then the internet and like yeah. how it's gone. In. And it is like this, but it it really doesn't capture the the shortness of the last few innovations. Well, that's the in thing. It's like of, that would be the most boring ride ever because you'd be, you'd have like, You'd have to have like an hour until there's the wheel yeah. and then another <laughs> hour until there's writing and then, and then you get to like, the beep, end. Beep, 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 yeah. Goodbye. And it's like <laughs> a couple flashes in your face. So It'd be a, a beautiful art piece, but a terrible ride. I want to go back to the sinking ship for a second when you talk about that, because I, I have, I have very often put the blanket over my head and had like extreme anxiety after spending way too much time looking at the world and 
I know that, that I feel like that too. Sometimes I'm like, holy man, this is like, we are Well, we were just talking to some people doomed. before we started this who were like going off to aid some friends blockading an old growth forest that's about to be mowed down. And it's like, I think anyone who's into nature, you kind of see that like, and I think the in the world, like, so what, there? who cares the rest of the world? Like when you live somewhere like Alberta that doesn't have these old growth forests, you don't understand the value of them. Yeah. And we here on the island, I think that's we where we're unique here. Like maybe sound like squeaky wheels chaining ourselves to trees and the rest of Canada is like, Oh, just get over it. They're just trees. But when you live and yeah. extreme value of it, and you, you want you you want to protect it in a very different way, and that's fair. Yeah. But I have a question for you, and this was I don't know. I wish I knew who asked it of me the first time, because to me, it's probably the best tool I've ever been given when I'm feeling really anxious about the sinking ship, which is it the time machine question. Have I asked you this before? I don't think you have. Okay. That if, sounds great because I know a lot of people who have it way worse than me who are like if I, <laughs> hand over heels, the world's ending. If I gave you a time machine right now and I said you could go to any time in the past or the future, but you have to live out the rest of your days in that time. Ooh, I think I'm going to skew your thing right up here. Go for it though. (laughs) Where would you go? I would go, I would probably go prehistory. So like hunter gatherer times and then I would go there. Are you sure that you're not going to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger? I would want, caveat being, I want to be how, no, that wouldn't work. Do I have to have grown up in those times? You can't have a match. You can't have a lighter. It's made of plastic. Oh, no, no. I mean, like, is it me now? It's you. Knowing what I know. It's you knowing what you know, but like, buff naked. Like, you don't get to take anything with you. No, 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 that changes things then. I'd probably, I don't know where I'd want to go then. Because... I like there's a really interesting thinker whose podcast is kind of what got me into this um, called Christopher Ryan. He's written a couple books and he's very much like world is kind of ending against the technology going to save us Um, very much on the sinking ship argument. And his whole thing that really rings true to me is that um, human happiness hasn't necessarily gone up. Like I think if you compare a hundred years ago compared to now, people are on average happier. But if you were to look at hunter-gatherer times, I actually think, and his argument is that um, people were happier just because that's what we evolved for. So like all the problems we're having in today's world with things like mental health or physical stuff, a lot of it's the biggest problems are actually coming out of um, us ignoring basically that we're animals. Like a lot of the big killers are like obesity or strokes and then we're suffering from mental health and stuff. And a lot of the these problems we wouldn't have if we weren't like sitting in a desk job, nine to five or that kind of stuff. I'm okay. doing a terrible job I'm, selling this idea. But. I, yeah, I was going to say like, okay, and you're pooping in a bucket. You can get killed by at any point by anything. Your your mortality rate, you're probably not going to live past 20. Well, okay, that like, mortality there's, rate there's is just really There's all of the skewy. math and science stuff that we've done that actually are in yeah. our benefit. So the, well, there's, it's, it's like the best analogy I heard about that was there's never been a better time to have like a trauma incident. So like, like hunter gatherer times, if your arm gets smashed, you're kind of screwed. Now we can patch you up with relatively little pain. We can give you like um, a new arm with 3D printed robot one. And maybe it's even better in 10 years. We might have like who knows what? Like, there's all that awesome stuff there. But then for other stuff, like, for an example, 
I think, I'm not sure if palliative care is the right term, but like hospice, there's never been a worse time. Like there's so many seniors who are trapped in old folks' home, just completely lonely and neglected. And even though we have the technology to keep them alive and we can keep giving them pills to help with the pills that they're taking, it's way worse than it would have been just having like a village behind your back and stuff. And the, I think and that there that's is, true. Like there's a lot of, it kind of cuts both ways. I, like, guess, I guess I'm going to stop you because uh, the question is actually just supposed to make you think about yeah, how lucky I'm we totally are in derailing your thing here <laughs> you're yeah, you're and doing a terrible job selling fail. someone okay, else's So for argument. me, I think it's a little bit different. I'm a woman. Yeah. So I'm not going very far back in time because basically I had no rights. I had no birth control. I've yeah. been pregnant 500 times. By the way, I was probably sold into marriage, especially hunter gather time. Don't really want to be a woman in that well, time. Well, I was going to say right? a lot so, of, depending on where in the world, most places were actually much more egalitarian. It's more when they got into farming and stuff that it was. <laughs> more of a it's thing. It's just like, meant to be a simple question to kind of yeah. put into perspective the fact that we really have to give credit also to how far we've come. We have yeah. actually, there is good, there's a ton of bad, but there is still good that we have created for ourselves, right? Yeah. And, and so the question is I mean, we're both talking into microphones here that are, like, know, might as well be magic. You're, like, you're not doing this <laughs> podcast from your hunter-gatherer place, Tristan, just so you know. And I if mean, you did, be... they'd be like, <laughs> buffalo. Now it'd be I am not the right person to argue <laughs> that argument, but that's, that's a totally separate thing. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying though. It, it does really, it's like a good point there. That... I mean, I would go back. I would take my time machine and I'd go back to 2000 and I'd buy Amazon stuff. <laughs> but that's about the only See, that's your entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I'll go just back. Just go back 20 years and just relive I'm going to murder Jeff years. Bezos and You know, take we do this podcast very first, so it would be like the number one podcast. We do that thing that YouTube guy did. We just put like the video camera on you all day long and I don't know what it is. Oh yeah, you'll is, be the original vlogger. Yeah, it would be the original People, vlogger. People, you'll start selling your bath water or something. We do all that fun stuff. You'll start Instagram, yeah. But I think it just like I don't really want to go forward and I really don't want to go past and so the idea of the question is supposed to be like just be lucky for where we are right now and know that we will innovate our way out of it and by the way I'm not actually worried about the planet earth oh yeah the planet the <laughs> earth is gonna survive it's, it's been so here funny for a I was just gonna billion say years longer than us and it's there's an amazing billions of George years Carlin after bit us. It's, which is all about, it's like, save the earth. No, save yourself. The earth is going to be fine. Earth's just And fine. he has a whole joke about how the earth, maybe the earth wanted plastic. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> like, we're always so worried about what is and isn't natural, which is kind of hilarious because we always forget that we're just as natural as anything else. Like, we're the uh, fancy equivalent of beavers making a dam. And even if we're changing our, our environment, it's... Such a weird distinction there, like what is and isn't natural. But again, that's another tangent. It is. We're on like our fourth, or fifth, or sixth, or seventh, but that's oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to so, like, speaking of the present, we've totally gone in a different direction from what I thought this podcast would be. But that's, okay, well, that's that's always the way it goes. Track. So, I know. <laughs> Just talk about whatever. I <laughs> oh, can come no, back another time. We're going for the tangents. Um, I wanted to ask, like, this is kind of a big question, which is. I don't feel like it's fair to just ask and be like, give me an answer because there is no answer. And that's the hilarious part. But what do you recommend as someone looking into like get into business and sorting things out and otherwise having a good life? Because that's, I want to get out of the whole like doom and gloom of I'm on a sinking ship and yeah, yeah. all that. And We've I've gone down that. I've always known you as like the crazy entrepreneur person. And I kind of got hooked on your club and to 
some extent on you, <laughs> just on, because you've always been someone who's like, even though you still acknowledge that things are bad, you're not like turning a blind eye and just putting your head down in a nine to five or something. And you're still working with the crazy world that we kind of live in, but you're also like being a total badass and running tons of businesses and doing traveling around things. the world and doing all that. Well, so Okay, so I think specifically for business and stuff, because that's the big problem that kind of faces me right now is like, what do I do for money? Okay. Coming out of high school, there's all this pressure of like, career, 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 go to college. We need to fit you into the mold. And you need to like, the message has always felt to me like, you need to get a job and like, go to school, get a job, have a nine to five, to a lesser extent these days, have a white. Okay, can I change that that message for you? Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to sound really super confusing. Yeah. But it's actually super, super simple. The message should be, there are a million ways to live your life. And you need to pick the way that's going to work for you. I used to think everybody in the world should do it like me. Everybody in the world should start a business and travel all over the place. Since then, I've learned that there are actually people out there who like sitting at a desk programming all day. Yeah. That's what they like. I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, you could try yeah. to make me do that, but no, I, I can would agree with fail. you there. And I would hate it. So if I'm going to go to school and I'm going to take something and get a degree doing something just because it makes money, but I hate it, I'm probably going to end up hating my life, feeling depressed, probably anxious hating every minute of my time, like going back to what is the finite resource? It's not money. You can make money doing anything. It's time. Yeah. So, and there are opportunities everywhere all the time, but there are some rules. One, you can't sell anybody something they don't want to or need to buy. If you really think they need something, you'd think that'd be obvious, but it's really not. It's not. It doesn't matter how much you think that people need something. You, if you're starting your business from a place of, I'm going to convince them that they need this, it's not going to work. Yeah. People are constantly telling you what they want. If a couple people want it, like go back to what I did with the, the add-ons for the special events company, right? I'd find yeah. something, I'd stick it up. Like I had like this archaic, you can go on the way back machine and look at my horrible website if you want, but I had this website and I would just like, I would just announce that we were doing something new and see if it caught on before I would buy the actual equipment to do it, I would make sure that enough people were like, oh yeah, I'd like that. Not just, oh, how nice for you. There's like a difference in people's interest in something. Yeah. And until they're willing to put money down for it, there's not interest. Well, that's the biggest indicator of like how you can tell if people want something. If one thing I've learned from, I think anyone who's ran a business can tell you this or just done a project. It's like, Everybody is like, oh, that's a great idea. You should do that. And then you ask them, well, do you want to buy one? No. And they're like, oh, no, not actually. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's first. Second is like, it's, it's, your list is always going to grow and your dreams can change before you get there. Hands down. But if you can start to now figure out what your North Star is, like what are the things that you're really interested in? What are the things you really like? Then you have a better idea of where you should be going. Now I'm going to say something is really confusing extra. No amount of education or learning is ever going to kill you. <sighs> so go ahead and do a degree. If that is something you enjoy, if you enjoy the school experience and you want to do that, 
there's a lot to learn in the world. And as a lifelong learner, like I, you're right, I just finished doing a bunch of classes at NIC and I did an internship at Disney and I went and I spent six months learning everything I could about the way that business works. I don't actually really like Disney movies, but that business as a company, as an experience to the guests walking through the door, considering they have 70,000 employees who are pretty much delivering a pretty uniform experience. That's amazing to me. So what do I do? I learn about it. Your point right now, your job is to have as many experiences, doing as many different things as you humanly possibly can. And you're doing that. And so just stay on the road that you're on because you're not in need of making any real changes, if that makes sense. Yeah. And just keep like, I almost want to say journal, but like if you don't want to do the whole journaling thing, have just a whiteboard that you keep certain words or certain journaling ideas Journaling is not a bad on. idea. Tell me about journaling. Like, So journaling is something that I don't do anymore, but I did a lot when I was younger. Yeah. And I have kept all of my journals. And actually one of my projects this winter is actually to re-meet the youth of myself. I actually want to read through all my journals and yeah. kind of see who I was back then. Because you're right. Like I only know myself as me right now too. Yeah. So I found these journals and I was pulling them out and I was like, oh my God, like I've, I documented everything like from grade five all the way through, like through a crappy first relationship, through all my traveling, through trying to figure out my business, through a point where I was like, I better stop wishing for things or like, I better stop saying I'm going to do something out loud before yeah. I really think about it. Because everything I say out loud, I do. And it, and it actually happens. And I'm starting to be overwhelmed. Like there's actually a journal entry where I talk about like, holy crap, you <laughs> stop <laughs> planning things. Cause you didn't think about like Bo Yang is a great example. The fair trade company. I don't like organizing things. I don't like threads. I don't like any of that. Now, my sister happened to really like that, so we were a good fit. We got home, and my sister got her place in the dietetics program in Vancouver, Yeah. and she suddenly had to go. So I got stuck doing something I didn't like to keep this business running, right? I actually should have just hired somebody for that. Yeah. Right? Well, I look back side. now, but, but looking through the goes. journals. So I have all of these journals from that. What journaling did for me at that point was gave me a way to work much out. Yeah. And I don't even know if they're going to be interesting. I'm going to try reading them. If they're boring and they don't serve me, then I'm not going to read them. But, um, it's not even about what you write down. It's about giving yourself an extra way to process stuff. It's funny that you say all this. Cause I've, I actually have journaled. I recently bought another journal cause I'd filled up my second one and I have found the exact same experience. I've kind of gotten out of the habit, but I, it is a good reminder that I should get back into it. So yeah. And it just gives you a, like a, a, uh, it's also about having a practice. Right? Yeah. It's and it almost having something that you it's do. Almost, that, it's not quite a meditation because it almost feels like you're working through stuff, but it's, it's weird how beneficial just like having a dialogue of a piece of paper. And mm -hmm. it almost doesn't matter that it's kept. Like, I feel like you could burn the journals yeah. and I still would have gotten just as much out well, of them. Well, I'll let you know. Cause I'm about to read all of my old ones. Yeah. And they're sitting. I'm curious it. if you like them. Cause I have been thinking like the minimalist is me is like, wow, by the end of the, I'm going to have a stack of journals, but yeah, I'll I feel like know. having a couple journals isn't too bad in terms of possessions goes like it's the only thing I'm keeping for sentimental value. So the other big thing that I hope you get from interviewing me or knowing me is just like, I really think that I've at different times in my life, I think I've taken on shame that people have like happily doled on me because they're not thinking about it. That comes from this idea that I'm a butterfly and I don't stick with things. Yeah. And I have done very well for myself 
being a butterfly and not sticking with things. Yeah. And some of the things that I get into, I research, I go on a deep dive and then I choose not to do it because it doesn't fit. It's not going to fit my life and what I want out of it. A perfect example was when I started to really get into mushrooms. Yeah. I can hand you an entire <laughs> business plan. I know exactly what it's going to cost to get started. I know exactly how many mushrooms. I know how to pulse the mushrooms so they grow right. I know which restaurants want them. I've got the entire thing ready to go. And it's going to be highly scientific. It's going to have lots of spreadsheets involved. Yes, I can hire that out. But it turns out I'm allergic to the spores of the oyster genus, which yeah. is a major selling. Yeah, mushroom. it is. So my choices are start a business I'm allergic to. <laughs> Literally. Or have to give up this experience. Well, I still learned a ton about microbiology. I learned a ton about myself. I had a great experience. I collected a story. Not it's everything you, you do has to necessarily become fruition. Yeah. But I wasn't sitting watching Netflix. I was doing, doing. things. Yeah. That I was interested in. Just I literally for the sake have of being a bucket interested. of oyster mushrooms in the other room, which are meant to be fruiting, and I just haven't gotten around to doing the extra steps to finish it. It's funny because I had like kind of the same epiphany of you. I was like, I could do mushrooms. Then I thought about it some more, and it's like, it's one of those businesses where it has such a reoccurring. It's one of those things where you almost have to get into a rhythm of, yeah. which is literally the last thing that I want right now. So instead of growing mushrooms, I started a podcast. <laughs> so there you go. And, <laughs> and that, so far, and no regrets. Fit. And you didn't. And I think this is the thing that I really need people to get over is the idea that anything that you do that's not wildly successful, like we look on the news and we see yeah. Elon Musk's and the Bill Gates and the Amazons. And we're like, if I'm not as successful as that, then I've failed. Like, no. What, did, what was your objective? In my case, getting into mushrooms was my objective was I really wanted to figure out how this worked and I wanted to master it. I have done that. I know how that works. I don't need to continue to do it because I'm not attached to the money that it could bring in. Yeah. I got what I needed out of it, which was the experience. And so we have to, as a society, we have to like stop framing this. Like there, yes, there's going to be the kids that grow up and they get really into soccer and they play soccer all the way through and they get a scholarship and then they go on a so soccer scholarship and then they go and they play professional soccer and soccer's their entire life. And then you're going to have kids that just want to bounce from thing to thing. And we need to say that that's okay. Because actually, I think that the entrepreneur ones, the ones that are really going to save the world, if we want to tie it back to like the sinking ship, yeah. the ones that are really going to bump into those new discoveries, they're the ones that are going to be the bouncers. The ones that are like, I want to learn about this. Now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to learn on this. And I'm going to learn this. And oh, okay. And, and it's okay. Because if they stumble across something that's amazing, they can hand it off to somebody who wants it. Like, go ahead. Anybody listening to this podcast, if you want to grow mushrooms and you want a mushroom business, <laughs> have me out for coffee. I'll tell you everything I've learned. It's awesome. It's super fun. It could be a very lucrative business. It's not my business. You get in touch with me. I'll for forward it. you to Vivian. I'm not going <laughs> to put your email out there, but see if someone takes you up on that. <laughs> so I don't know if I just answered your question or if we just kind of you, tangented again, but basically Well, just, my question was pretty vague, but you gave me an answer, which I didn't know I needed. And, and that's usually the way it goes. You ask for one thing and you get another and usually it's even better. So I think that's a really good point because like even just in my own life, but I think in general too, there's, there is a lot of shame or maybe not even shame is the right word. Just like emphasis on sticking with one thing, which in some things makes sense. Like I do, I have found there is some things where you really do just have to stick it out. Like I'm really into weightlifting and that's, it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying where it's one of the few things 
I think it's actually one of the sports where consistency matters the most. Mm. Like you can be, it's literally the only thing that matters. It's to be a good weightlifter, you just have to be willing to go in and plug in an hour of the same repetitive motions over and over and over again. And what determines success more than anything is not even, I mean, genetics always comes to a part of it, but it's basically who can tolerate repetition the best. Okay. Which so, is kind of and hilarious. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there for a second. And I'm going to say exactly. And that is something that is required to be really good at, at weights. And it is serving you right now. Yeah. You love to do it. You're enjoying it. And it's great. If you come to a point in your life where you're just doing it because you've been identified in your community as that guy who lifts weights. Yeah. So you just keep doing it because you're that guy who lifts weights. That's when it's time to shed it. Because, and I think this is the thing. It's like, go ahead. If, if the soccer guy loves soccer and he just keeps playing soccer because he loves soccer and he gets all the way to the end of an amazing soccer, that's just as good as the person who does like 700 different careers yeah. in their lifetime. As long as they're both being served by what they're spending their time doing. And I think that's right? where you're really making a good point. There is like, is just make like emphasis on that. You're actually getting something out of it. And there is like, I do generally normally have like the same problem as you where I'm like way more likely to go do something new than I am to keep doing the same thing. Like I'm a sucker for novelty and something like the school system, like they're not into that. Like you really want you to commit and be like, um, or at least like at, at a high school level, it's like you got to commit. And if you're going to do math, you have to do the whole semester, which for a lot of things, that's just the way it goes. Like that's yeah. the way you have to do it. But I think a lot of just in our careers too, at least in the past, and it's really changing now, there's been a lot of emphasis on like, you're going to do one thing for the rest of your life. And it's interesting to see how things are starting to shift now because you can't do one thing for this sort of life. I think for a lot of people, they say now, like, the job you'll have in 10 years doesn't yet exist. Like, you don't really have an option. So, so it's a really things, good point you're making there. So what are the things that are going to serve you no matter what jobs look like in 10 years? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> that's the big question. And I, I don't even know. I mean, in 10 years, it's, it's I've heard enough, like, um, very smart Silicon Valley people give some very convincing arguments about AI or the things that's like 10 years who even knows? But if things go the way they are, I honestly really don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. Like, there's lots of little I, things I I'm some, interested in. I have some in, theories. Yeah, go for it. I think that what I'm saying suddenly is even cooler and more awesome because the thing you're going to have to be able to do is learn quick and pivot. Yeah, well, there's a good point. And so, like... Wow, I didn't even, you, you just saying that made me think like, oh, wow, I'm even smarter than I think. Because that wasn't <laughs> what I meant like when I came in and we were just talking. I actually didn't know what we were going to talk about. We just started talking. But um, at the end of the day, I think that that's even more of the reason that I think it's really relevant that we have people who are willing to just say, the thing that I really like to do, I really like to figure out how the wizard behind the curtain works. Yeah. And it, for people who don't know that, that's a Wizard of Oz terminology. It turns out that your entire generation doesn't know what the Wizard of Oz is. So I have to explain <laughs> it. And I've, I've had bumped into this where like even 30-year-olds are like, I'm sorry, what's that from? Um, just, you know, Dorothy goes into her house. The tornado comes, picks up the house, drops her off in Oz. And everybody's like, oh, the wizard can help you. The wizard can help you. So they do their big journey and weird stuff happens on the yellow brick road. They get to the Emerald City. The wizard is this big, scary, talking head, 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 and makes her do all these things like kill a witch and stuff, 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 stuff. And then this little innocent dog runs up to this velvet curtain, pulls the curtain, and there's just this little munchkin guy who's like 
toggling some things to make his voice sound really, really deep and scary, scary, scary. And so I just like everything that I look at in the world, for me, it's about figuring out, yeah, this is, this has been made intentionally to look and feel a certain way. And there is the presentation of how it ends up looking. And then in behind the curtain is this dude or some other mechanical thing that's actually making it work. And so for me, like, how does the mushroom business work? Like, it's just about figuring out the systems and how they go. And I think that that's going to be a really important, like, as we move forward and the jobs are changing, just being resilient enough to be able to figure things out is enough. Eventually, you're going to find something that works and that is interesting and that goes forward. But all of those false starts that you may come across, like the mushrooms, I would call that a false start. I spent yeah. you know, a year and a half researching it, figuring it out, talking to different people, and then chose not to, to pursue it. But I didn't lose anything. I made a whole bunch of relationships. I learned a butt ton about microbiology, which has really helped me with this COVID stuff, like just understanding yeah, what like they the, say it by really breathing nicely and theory. all of this other stuff. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like, yeah, just knowing like a very basic lab setup. Like, I feel like it was a, nothing teaches you better than that because suddenly you're very motivated of like, oh, this is why you have to wear a mask, and oh, this is where you like have to we sanitize everything with alcohol, and it even teaches you about like how germs float in the air and stuff like that, and you can see how that's such an issue for transmissions. So yeah, so I mean, and that is not going to lose. Like yeah, so it's a passion for learning and having those experiences is probably going to be more valuable than ever. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say this because I think like almost every adult I've asked this question to has said almost the same thing. I think it's like everyone's like, I mean, I think the people have asked or a lot of it's been unsolicited from people um, like they run Enter, which is the tech program I was in. So I think a lot of people in the tech space are hyper aware of that just because things move even faster. But even in other places, I think people are so aware of how fast things are changing. They're like, got to be ready to pivot. <laughs> yeah. And so, and not afraid to ask, not afraid to say, Hey, I'm learning about this thing and I need your help or, Hey, I'm doing this podcast. Can you come and be a guest? I'm learning this stuff. Yeah. And I think eventually you just sort of figure out from the experiences, what it is that fills your cup. Like what is your North star? You have to just sort of experience it. I don't know that you could take a test and have the test tell you who you should be when you wait. And, and this happened to me. So, and that's actually really funny that, that I'm thinking about this now because I've just recently seen it in grade nine. I was given an aptitude, like a careers test. Like, yeah. you know, they, they, you know, and it came on dot matrix paper and it was the old printer style it was in with my report cards and I had, my mom came and was, here's your report cards from your shop. And I'm like, you kept every report card. I'm 44 years old and you still have my like grade one report card. Oh, wow. We're looking through it. We find this career test and the career test says, first of all, I was like in the 90th percentile for math and science and the number one career that they said I should have was engineering, <laughs> which, which right away tells me they don't know me. Yeah. <laughs> at all. And so I'm sure in my grade nine body at the time, I looked at this and I said, this test must be bogus. <laughs> and I chucked it to the side and I didn't think about it again. Right. I'm, and then I look at it now and I'm like, oh, but I could have been an engineer. 
And I also know I really wouldn't have liked it. So <laughs> I cannot imagine you being know, the kind of person imagine? who's going to sit and be like a CAD monkey and plot every single like measure, every detail of your part, do the 0.1 of a millimeter size adjustment. Because <laughs> I just don't care. I just don't care. I, I mean, I know it's important and that's what I have Paul for. Yeah. So. And I could imagine you like if you'd gone into engineering, you probably would have found your way into like maybe not management, but like working on a startup or something and doing like the marketing side of that. I don't think I like would have made it out of the first year. I really don't. But, <laughs> first year but, engineering but, of bird I mean, is so meant to grind you, like, so probably not. It's important to know, and it's a nice compliment to know that I am super, super smart. Yeah. Like it was a nice affirming thing. You have the academics right? behind you. I was like, where's the drama? Why doesn't it say I should be an actress? Like, <laughs> screw all these hippies. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm by my own way in the world. So it's nice to have that as a, as a point, like a data point. Like, okay, so these are the things you're good at and, and, and whatnot. It's like, huh, but what are the things you like to do? And then are there maybe cross sections with the interests and the, and the different things? But I really just think you have to just say yes to everything. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because you literally went through a period you told us about where you just said yes to everything that came your way. I did. How long did you do that for? I, I, I do it all the time. Actually, I go through phases of it. So it is a tool that you can have. It's called yeah. Vivian's Yes Week. I just made that up on the spot. I don't know. I, I just you should turn this it. into a thing. You should do a little <laughs> my own social like, media push. Yeah, I'll, I'll like. You can subscribe to my. I feel like this is the kind of thing that would be in like an image of some like, I don't know what would it be. Maybe some like dude with a backpack jumping and like some crazy beach and valley in the background or something and really blue water. I and then it's I've like, actually, yes week challenge. In, in my yes week, I've actually had that. When, it was in Australia, but I did have that. So I well, have been go. doing, <laughs> I've been doing yes weeks since, uh, I guess Australia would have probably been my first one where I'd gone, I'd done the Olympics. We'd been working really hard. My sister was had a bunch of, oh, she had, we was getting acupuncture. She had a, a, a bung knee. So oh, she no. had to stay still in one place and I had been staying with her. And I just like, I know now I was like, I needed some adventure and some, I needed something to shift in my life. And so I just like woke up one morning and was like, fine, you can't come. I'll be back in Sydney. I'll pick you up in like 10 days or whatever. I'm just going to go. And I, um, I, that one wasn't really quite a yes one. It was, it's a dice roll one. So I just like would write six things that I could do, like go north, go south, go west, stay. Yeah. And then you roll the dice and however the dice roll works, that's what you do. Or you can do the say yes to everything, which is where you say, okay, universe, things aren't going very well for me right now. I am trying to control too many things and I can't keep doing this right now. I need something to happen. So I'm going to say yes. That's it. And then you just like, do your normal day and somebody will be like, Hey, I'm going to a random chess tournament. And you're like, oh. I said, I'd say, yes, I guess I'm going to a chess tournament. And you go to the chess tournament and then somebody at the chess tournament says, Hey, I'm going picking wine grapes tomorrow. I mean, these are really like simple random examples. But yeah. In that case, that's what it was. Like I ended up going on a tour, which I would normally not have done, but somebody was like, Hey, you, you want to do something? Let's go on this tour. So I did a tour. I got up to Bondi. I ended up learning how to fire dance with the poi because yeah. that was on a wall. I was like, Oh, said yes to everything. I guess I'm taking this <laughs> fire dance class. Oh my God. I went, so you would do like I seeing went, posters and stuff too. Not everything. just like people saying, yes. the universe is going to put it in front of me in some random way. And I'm going to, that's like the hippiest up. kind of move, but it actually works. <laughs> totally, totally works. So I had, it had been a very long time since I'd done a yes, done a, like a yes stint. And I had 
planned this amazing Disney holiday for my family right at Christmas time, had gotten home and said, I just really need a quiet Christmas now. And then it's always nice when family comes, but I had both sets of family suddenly decide last minute they were going to come. Oh yeah. Christmas. I had this huge experience of like, just like, I need the kids to go back to school now. No, I remember this. And then I said, okay, well, okay, kids, mommy needs you to go back to school. This is the routine. I know it's been, cause now I've had them out for Disney, right? It's been like over a month since you've done school. Can you do this anymore? Like, let's figure this out. Made the list, did the little drawing pictures thing. That first week back was horrible. It was yelling, screaming in the kitchen, people losing their lunches, me like, like losing it. So get to the next weekend. I said, okay guys, mommy really needs next week to go better than it did last week. What can we do differently? Let's make better pictures. Let's start prepacking the lunches. <laughs> Went horribly the Monday that morning I woke up and they were already all screaming at each other. And I was just like, mommy's going away for a little bit. So <laughs> I went off to Nanaimo to have a girl date. And I just, I actually stood in a church parking lot of all places there's a really nice view from this church parking lot. And I just said, okay, I'm going to say yes to everything. And it set up for me the trajectory that took me to Disney for the internship and took me back to school and got me the 10 club. Like the 10 club happened in that week. Wow. Um, A whole bunch of different things happened. And so I'm actually very close to having a, a, like needing another yes week. Like, yeah, I've got to get kids back into school and go. Cause I feel like my life has sort of always worked in sort of eras. There's been, or seasons, I guess you could call them. Like there was the season of gallivanting all over the world, entrepreneuring without kids. And then there's been this season of having really young kids. And then there's been this season of rediscovering myself as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as a mom who's going to make room for herself in my life. And and now I've got that. I've kind of like really got this stable ground of no, 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 no. I can still do everything that I want to do. I'm not tied down by this role of motherhood, which can be very suffocating. And, and so now it's time to go to the next level. But what the next level is, well, I, that butterfly hasn't gone by me yet, Tristan. I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> well, that's the way it goes. I think that's, I kind of thought of this a while ago, but I wanted to bring it up again just because it, is something I find interesting about you that I feel like a lot of people I'm around don't necessarily have and it makes such a huge difference is just like you were saying earlier this whole scarcity model is it really does feel like some people I know are very much like they're kind of driven a lot of type a overachiever people it feels like they're operating out of a model of scarcity Mm -hmm. where even though they're like surrounded by all these opportunities and stuff they still feel like there just isn't enough and I mean, I find myself, I'll fall into this sometimes, and then usually my mental health will plummet a bunch because I'm like, oh my gosh, like right now it's time for scholarships. I should be like... I should be, I should be. Should be, be should be, be doing all this kind of stuff. And the underlying fear behind that is that, well, if I don't, there won't be another opportunity. Oh my God, this is the last opportunity. If I don't do <laughs> exactly, this, Exactly, right? It's like... No other opportunity. So You're like chasing after an empty plate. You're just trying to get the last Can scraps. I share like the most amazing little thing that I heard? And it's from somebody that my daughter Millie plays with. Absolutely. I'm going to give her credit. Her name is Noah Wirtz and she's a homeschooled, delightful human being. And she's, I think she's 12 years old and they were playing and Sophie said something or Millie said something about missing an opportunity. And it was like, did you miss the opportunity or did the opportunity miss you? It's just this idea that like somebody else is going to pick up that mushroom idea. Somebody else is going to pick up these things and it's okay because opportunity is raining down on us. And so rather than waiting for the right, like there's, I think that a lot of anxiety that I see in people is that we're not sure if it's exact. I, me too. 
It's not the exact right one. And if I'm doing this and the right opportunity comes back, then I'm not going to be able to jump on the right opportunity. Well, what's the right opportunity? I don't know what the right opportunity is. Well, then the opportunity you have, could it be the right opportunity for now? Yeah. Right. Could you, could you just at least be doing something rather than and sitting waiting just such to like catch a, the right opportunity? A healthier mindset because like being in the whole like school pipeline, it, right. Especially right now around like some, some people, kids just aren't engaged and they're like working their job every weekend and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then there's, there's that. And then there's people who are like frantically trying to apply to all their scholarships and are like, Oh my God, this is so stressful. I have like, I've got this career picked, but I don't know what school to do. And they're like, doing all this crazy stuff and I don't know (laughs) I don't know what's worse because on one hand like people are taking advantage of opportunities versus not but then the kind of type a people are always (laughs) ridiculously stressed out and like Mm. dying in the moment and I think the one catch and I can't really blame people for it like I, I always try not to blame myself or blame others just because everyone's grown up with all the marketing telling you and our whole Feels Don't like miss our whole this opportunity. Exactly. Last like there isn't enough to, and to go yeah. around, which is this whole capitalist bullshit, which keeps the economy running. Can I, I tell a great story about that? When we used to do the Calgary stampede, the first year my sister and I were doing the stampede and we got in and we were doing the face painting and we were all, like we'd shaved our heads to go across Canada and be clowns. And we had these clown wigs we were wearing. We were doing the whole voice and the whole everything. And across from us was the PVA vacuum action mop. <laughs> and they did this, just, they put ketchup on the floor, they cleaned it up, they put water on the floor, it could sponge stuff. And we had a motorhome and we were like, we could really use one of those mops. And the guy would say, you know what? It's our first day of the show. The people who invented this thing, they're given, they've given us a hundred extra promo mops just because we want them walking around the show. So if you buy a mop now, we'll actually give you two mops for the $19.99. And I rocked on over there and I was like, listen, we haven't made any money face painting yet, but we really want one mop. Could you maybe put one of those on the side for us? Could you like hold one of those special deals? Could yeah. we get a two for one? We didn't even need two mops. It was just because we could have two mops. And I don't know yeah, if we are going to sell well. the other mop. I don't know what we were going to do with the other mop. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I think they'll be around when you get there. Then we spent the next 10 days listening to how every day, well, because of Seniors Day, the manufacturers of this mop gave us an extra 100 mops to get rid of. (laughs) So if you come and you're one of the first 100 customers today, you too can have two mops for the price of every single day. And then he would like, the the guy who was doing the demo, there'd be a lot of people walking around and stuff and they'd all be gathered and they'd be kind of talking to each other. Like, should we buy this mop? Should we get two? They're such amazing mops. Only available here at the Stampede. (laughs) That's bullshit too, by the way. And then... And then they'd be talking and he'd go, hey, Miranda, how many more of those deals do we have? And she'd go in the back and look and be like, she'd put her hand up like this and she'd kind of wave and be like, oh, there's only five left of this deal. And people like start waving 20s at him. <laughs> and it was just like, it's like the perfect example of that sales frame. Like we're, we're like supposed to buy at the last minute. We're to get this podcast for free today. Not podcast, but e-course only available today. Yeah. Know, like, yeah. And it's always well, that, there. That and it's bled always into like, everything. Like even education, it's just immediately do not pass go. If you don't get this scholarship, I then know you it's can't, like, like now's your time. We're going to miss out. It's, it's so, it just runs against how the human mind works. Like that's why I think people are suffer so much from mental health problems is we're all have like humans just can't handle that kind of chronic stress all the time that kind of leads me into the another big question i wanted to ask you um because the counter argument i always hear and i always get this from my parents or people who are otherwise and i don't mean to throw shade at my parents like they're they're very good compared to most people but i still get this a lot which is 
a lot of people, when you say something like that, they're like, yeah, that's true. You'll find opportunities, but also you have to eat. And their big counter argument is like, well, how are you going to make money? So I'm curious, like, you're obviously someone who's never had, you seem like you've never had like crazy money problems, but it's easy for you to go with that mindset when you're not like trying to figure out where okay. you're going to eat next. So, there so how do you deal with the money side of that? Like, so first of all, because we know stuff doesn't buy us happiness, Yeah. we don't need to keep up with the Joneses and we don't need to buy that stuff. And we don't need to get into that crushing debt cycle. Yeah. We don't need a brand new car. We don't need the fanciest house. We don't need to paint it every 15 minutes. <laughs> we don't need the, to change the furniture out all the time. Right? So the first step is that I see a lot of young people do is as they start to make more money, they spend more. Yeah. And they get, well, that's called like the hedonic things. treadmill is as we gain more, we just adapt to it. And so we're constantly one. upping our margins. So Paul and I in our twenties didn't do that. And like, I'm sure like I am a hundred percent sure there were people who were close to us that were like, why don't you just like get a new car? Like I, I we went across Canada and broken down motorhomes, and I would never pay for a hotel room except on the last night. And like, we were just like, it, it, pe- people probably saw it as cheap, but I was like, actually yeah. we have a lot of fun in these broken down motorhomes. Like we really genuinely are high school students or university students, sorry. And we are enjoying life to its fullest. Having a newer motor home isn't going to make or break yeah. Our enjoyment. Of well, I think backpackers learn that a lot, not only because they see people with less being so happy, but also you have your whole life in a bag. Like yeah. you kind of experience that it's, it's not the stuff you have. You don't need that. And so I, bed I, I think, yes, stuff. you're right. You do have to eat the amount of money you need to make to be able to eat is correlated with how many of the marketing scams you get sucked into and the things <laughs> you need to buy. So yeah. that's the first thing you can do is you can, you can be conscious of and very intentional about what you choose to spend your time making money so you can buy things. Yeah. Doing, right. So this goes back to the theory of you have finite time. So if you break down, let's say you're being paid $15 an hour to go to work, to work for a three hour shift and you commute for half an hour in each direction. Plus you arrive a little bit early and you shoot the shit, not getting anything with your time. So that's another 15 minutes on each end. So now you're being paid $45 but to get to work and get home and unwind, it's actually taking you five hours. Yeah. So you have to break your earnings down by the amount of time involved. So now it's a really stressful job and you lose another four hours stressing about your job when you get home. Yeah. So now that $45 has chewed through how much of your finite time. Well, that's a a great analogy I heard and I want to just like put it out there. I'll have to put a link in the description or something for anyone who's like looking to just do the whole cut down on expenses thing. Um, Mr. Money Mustache, the infamous financial blogger who we both have read and love. Well, you actually shared that with me and and I read it and and I I got it from another podcast, which is kind of funny. My message was, oh my God, if I was a dude and I had a mustache, I could have written this. Like, it yeah, is spot it's, on it was so Paul funny I that I, I always assumed like you must have known it, but then when no. you didn't, it was like, whoa, you've done everything I, exactly <laughs> yeah, the same. I, I pretty much, it is pretty much And I've heard stories yeah. of other people doing the similar thing. It's like this, and I, I think a lot of it's just like, when you're in, if you put yourself in the right place, it's kind of just becomes the only thing that makes sense. Like yeah. if you've been traveling enough 
or you just think a certain way. Well, and you way. have to shed the scarcity, like the like, oh, keeping up with the Joneses. Like you have yeah. to like, intentionally choose to say, right, I'm not going to replace my car every two years because I don't care. Have you seen our car? It's held together with electrical tape <laughs> and we love Vivian it. Vivian literally has a mirror my, duct tape on. My, it's amazing. My daughter asked me the other day, she said like, if you could have any car in the world right now for free, what would it be? And I thought about it and I was like, oh, fuck, I got to pick a car. I got to pick a color and I have to worry about what things come in and are not, I'm probably going to get an electric second. I got to get an electric person or electrician in to fix my house up. Like the amount of time (laughs) it's going to take for me to change my cars. I said to her, honestly, I still really like this car. Can I just pick keeping this car? Like I'm genuinely happy. That's hilarious, but such a good answer. Right. And I, I, I'm not faking this. I'm not just saying this. I'm like, I, I understand like, and I, especially I feel vulnerable sometimes when I think, oh, well I have coaching clients that I'm supposed to rock up. And like the typical thing you're supposed to do, if you're like a service, you're supposed to have the fancy Lexus car or whatever, and you're supposed to drive up and you're supposed to have the exact right jewelry on. I'm never going to be that kind of coach. And hopefully I never have to work with that kind of person because I don't want the judgment on it. And I I really don't want to help people live this persona of life. And and so there might be people out there who really love getting their nails gelled and really love fixing their hair and really love shopping for cars. And if that's them, great. <laughs> as long as they're actually happy yeah. paying those bills and maintaining that house and, that's the and thing, maintaining like, that image. If that's what they want to do with their time, it's just m- not my choice. I really wonder how many of those people, if you took out all the external factors of like status and all that other stuff, like if you're the last person... If you took every person and you could like put them in a simulation with the last person in the world, would they still like do their do nails? Do the things that they do. And would they still... Well, it's interesting. Like, you can find that out. It's interesting to think about what those people did over COVID. Yeah, that's true, right? actually. Like what, what happened there for, for people. But I want to go back to like our... So first of all, it's like shed this whole scarcity quality. Yeah. And, and, and taking the, the not taking on the debts so that you... Yeah, you still need to eat. But now you can eat on so much less. Yeah, so which gives you so much more flexibility gives you to the go freedom for freedom to then have free time because now the amount of money yeah. it's going to take you to, you know, pay those bills and stuff is going to stay lower and so that gives you the freedom to run your podcast on the side or learn about mushrooms. Maybe for you mushrooms turns out to be the thing. Yeah. Eventually something will catch fire and will make you more money than you can imagine. <laughs> then rather than this idea that And if you're happy with slow and steady wins the race and you're just going to work for whatever dollars per hour, eight to five, and that serves your soul because you want that, that freedom. I've said that earlier and that's fine too. And then live below your means. Remember to pay your future self first and you can get there too. If it's serving you, that's the important thing, right? So, but if you're in the case where you just want to see things and experience things and do things and you kind of feel like you kind of have to go to university and you want to get the best bang for the buck, I'll tell you the unfortunate, sad reality, which is you probably are going to go back to school later on. Like, I don't know very many adults who did have it figured out. Yeah. Right. And so you can wait until you're older and go to school later, or you can at least get something so that when you go back, you're at master's level. Makes sense. I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like, what are you thinking? What are the, what are the angles well, that, that you're looking I'm at? I'm glad you're bringing this up. Cause that's one thing I was just going to say that always makes me sad about scholarships is a lot of them won't even let you take a gap year. And I think these days mm. it's more common for them to let you take a gap year, but anything beyond that is like unheard of. Like it's, it's the whole system is set up to, there's a lot of opportunity in 
just going straight to school. So like I have a lot of friends who are like, yeah, I'd like to travel, but they haven't seen the other side of how beneficial that can be, where there's a distinct number of like, if I don't go to school next year with a scholarship, I'm giving up $35,000 towards school. So when or the whatever. scholarship works, do they have to go all through the summer or could they travel the summer after their first year? Could no, they, they could travel through the summer. Yeah. Like so, you could, you could still fit it in and that's a good, you really have a good point there. Like I kind of have set my head like, Oh no, you're going down the nine to five path, like danger ahead. You're going to be clawed in magically. And, and there's <laughs> other ways to have those experiences without but, necessarily leaving the country. So there's yeah. a program called Katimavik that I would also love to tell you about, which is a volunteer program around Canada. It's like volunteer. I want to be paid write for this my down. money. <laughs> But it's called Katimovic, yep. and it's a it's run. I think it's just run through the summer. But basically, you and a group of young people. How do you spell that so I can link hmm. this all up? K. Or I think it, it'll <laughs> make more sense. The, I'll we'll give it find to you it. We'll, we'll put, put it in the it description. In the, in the description. Yeah. So it's called Katimovic, and I checked, and it actually ran through COVID this year. They said, you know what, you got to live somewhere. Wow. We're gonna go, and basically, you, 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 you go, you live with a group of people, and you volunteer in three different communities across Canada. Yeah. So that counts as experience outside of your world. Yeah. And for people who go away to college, going and living in a dorm in another town. It's yeah, for sure. Like it's the college experience experience. is the most common mind. Going back to there's not right or wrong experiences. There's experiences that you're more called to and not called to, but I used to really poo poo the people who just went off to university and like, or, Oh, they finished their degree and they're sheep and whatever. Okay. Let's go back <laughs> to the fact that I'm like four credits away from my ed degree. Yeah. In a way I'm glad I don't have it because I probably at some point would have been like, Oh, I'll just go teach. And I, um, have so much love and respect for our teachers and where they're at. And I'm also, and I'm super grateful to them. And I'm also super grateful that I don't have those last four credits and it's not me. I got to say, my mom's a teacher <laughs> going back to school with COVID. Like <laughs> I, I think you're definitely lucked out there. All the trophies, all the trophies in the world to our teachers, man. Yeah. Right? My mom is like, encourages me to do just about anything other than go be a teacher, <laughs> which is a little dark because I think that's like one of the most important jobs in our society, but it's ugly. <laughs> I think like... You would do very well to take just a basic business. I was going to say, course, right? I was just reading this magazine my grandparents gave me. I think it was BC Business. It's like 30 under 30. And I am starting to think more and more like, why am I dicking around? Like, I've been thinking about going into engineering or something, but I don't really want to be an engineer. I want to like start businesses and do other crazy stuff, but there's no clear route where there is for engineering. It's very like, take this box, tick this box, tick this box. Um, what are your thoughts on business school? Like, I've heard lots of mixed things about MBAs. The consensus generally seems to be like it's great for learning the administration side, but it's not like a handbook on how to be an entrepreneur. Mostly because that's almost impossible to teach. Um, so I think I think I wouldn't I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know because I'm not the expert on Tristan, <laughs> so I don't know what's right for you. I would say my experience with business classes is unfortunately like I I took first year business classes and I really enjoyed being in the classroom again and learning and having deadlines where I could say, no, mommy's got to put an assignment in and yeah. watching my kids see me being a lifelong learner. I felt like that was really valuable. Getting a 4.2 GPA after like, I'm sorry, I'm married to a genius. And so sometimes <laughs> it's easy to forget how smart I am too. So it was very affirming. And then I got to do the Disney program and that was where like the mind blowing learning came in. Um, I don't, 
I don't know that you would do necessarily an MBA, but you could do a, a business bottom, like your, yeah. your BA in business, and you could do a leadership as your master's, or you could do a, a, like a conflict management, or you can do something else. Because what I what I know about the master's level is it often doesn't matter what the what your base BA is, as so much as that you've done that first four years in something, right? So you could be like my sister has a dietetics background. She's done her, her, her bachelor of science in nutrition. And if she wanted to, she could spend a year becoming an accountant. Wow. <laughs> Boop, just like that. Yeah. But it's like having that base while you have family support in some capacity, while you don't have a family, while you don't have those, yeah, bills, while you don't a have that stuff. I think that I now see the value in that, that maybe I didn't back in the day when I just, you know, Like I sat across from a a university professor at that point, I had this thriving business. When, when are children's entertainment companies busy? They're busy at Christmas. When are exams? Christmas. So I kept bumping into these situations, midterms, Halloween, constantly. Right. And I just remember sitting across from this professor and her saying, you have staff, you have a business, you make more money than me. And you're here crying because you can't get a history paper in. Why are you still in university? And I like, I was yeah. like, at the time I was like, I don't know. Like I was already at that point and going to remember the time of, of life that we were, but I was already over a hundred thousand dollars at that point coming in. Wow. And I had no idea, like this thing just happened to me. And maybe I wasn't at a hundred thousand yet, but I was like on my way to building something really fantastic. And here I'm doing this ed degree and I'm taking these like history yeah. classes and I'm just like so miserable because I have not enough time to be all these people. And I think it was good for me to go. That's when I started really just backpack travel, find myself kind of stuff. But I had nine years to finish those last credits. And I do think it probably would have been good for me to go back. Yeah, and that's hard for just me even to say, just for the paper. I like, built an entire persona in my twenties about being the one who like made all my money, and I didn't even have a degree. And but I was so close <laughs> to the end, right? Like, yeah, you're I just, one like, one course away. It's I'm almost like, like really, you might as well. Or maybe just, it was four courses. I don't think I was one course away. I think it was okay. four courses. Away. I was gonna say like one course away is almost like. But I look back damn, now, but, and I'm just like, oh yeah, it probably would have been good to have yeah. just finished that. But but it doesn't really matter because here I am. Like I was gonna you say, go, like, there you are, and the thing is, just who knows? Because maybe if you did those courses then you would have done the teaching degree and you would be sitting here crying about how bad the education system is. So you just never know. Like, yeah. And my life happened the way it did. And the other thing that I want to say is like, another thing I think a lot of people get a lot of anxiety around is this idea that they're destined to do something and they're missing out. Like there's, there's like this thing I'm supposed to do with my life. Yeah. And that if I'm, I'm missing it, I'm like, if you stop and you like watch Netflix with your friends for a day or you play Minecraft for a day that you're like, not living up to your fullest potential because there's the thing that I'm destined to do. And my answer to that is just, if you're destined to do it, you're going to do it. (laughs) It's going to happen. All the blocks are, you're not going to, you can't not do destiny. It's called destiny for a reason. Right. And so on one hand you can chill because clearly things are unfolding exactly the way the universe wants it to. Or if there's no universe and no one cares, fuck just watch Netflix then. Cause that's what you feel like doing in that moment. You owe the world nothing of this destiny thing. Right. So either way you could just get to relax. Yeah. Right. <laughs> does that make sense? No, it, it really does. Like 
there's a part of me that wants to throw in a grain of salt there of like you can take that too far almost like I, at least myself it's like okay i want to start a podcast I, I okay i have a weird thing of ideas okay but i have, have an example of that i've kind of come to have can i, I just finish what i was yeah, gonna sure. say Go for it. um we're both like talking over each other like squirrels <laughs> <laughs> um no so like i've always found like if i think about an idea too much and i like overhype myself up for it usually by the time i get to actually sitting down to do the work i'm like oh i'm gonna do this thing it's gonna be so great and then i go tell 10 of my friends and they're like oh yeah it's gonna be so great i'm all excited by the time I actually get down to like sit and the, for a podcast, it would be like twiddling the knobs and trying to make it work. I'm like, oh, this is actually work still. I still have to put in some work. And that can kind of lead to like, <laughs> okay, but, lead to not doing things. But, but uh, that's the next myth. It hasn't always been easy and everything worthwhile is going to take work. Yeah. And that's like, that's the right? catch there. It's just what I'm saying is don't be afraid. I, I'm almost saying the opposite. I'm almost saying like do all the work, like do all the projects, <laughs> yeah. do all the things and, and let go of them when they're not serving you or you're not enjoying them. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Try if that makes, if that makes no, sense. No, that makes But I want to give you the example of like, if you were destined to do something, it's going to find you on your own. Okay. Yeah. Friend of mine, really great friend of ours. Um, night, night clerk at a, ho- at a motel. Like night manager. So he's yeah. the dude that checks people in at two o'clock in the morning. And he is a dungeon master. He plays D&D. He runs these amazing games. And he has one of the people who plays one of his games say, hey, our company is trying to do video games. Like we're pivoting and we're going to do video games. And we need somebody to write dialogue. You're really good at this like storytelling. Yeah. Could you come and work for us? And he's like, yeah, sure. Bioware. <laughs> Neverwinter Nights is yeah. the first game he works on. He's now written a trilogy and they've based games on it. I'm not even sure if he's at BioWare anymore. BioWare got bought out by EA Games, but basically yeah. he did what he loved, which like the epitome that you can think of of like not not doing anything and just sitting in Netflix and chill kind of thing. He literally was like a night manager and played D&D and yeah. it still found him. Wow. His passion still found him. Right. And the part of that is saying yes to everything. Cause he did say, yeah, sure. I'll yeah. Come that's and take the thing. Like you still have to, you still have to, still have to, to do it. Put in the work to, and right. Cause that, yeah, they could have asked six other people who were like, yeah, no, it's fine. But he was the guy who said, yeah, sure. I'll come into the office and talk and look at your game. And, oh yeah, this could be fun. Sure. I've never done this before, but I'm willing to sit and make some dialogue for a video game. Why not? It was still work. Like, can you imagine writing like, like frame from frame, like all the different decisions yeah, no, that like, you can make in a game and all of that dialogue? That's still work. I've played a couple, not Neverwinter, but I played one called Baldur's Gate, which I think is pretty similar. And it's like literally a and d game. And the amount of hours that must have went into like doing the dialogue or the scripting for every single character, because you can walk into like a bar and you can talk to like every guy in it. And there's like this big map of all these different places and there's all these people and it changes continually depending on what time the game is i cannot imagine how many hours have gone into that and that's a real life job for people so yeah these kids that are super into playing video games still like we're still making billion billion dollar industry making video (laughs) games it's possible i think it's more than that now quite possibly like if your passion is video games it is possible for to turn that passion into a money making thing yeah but it's still going to be work yeah, that's it's just the thing. it's not going to be like 
engineering work or accounting work or teaching work. It's going to be video game work. And it's going to maybe change a little bit because now you have to worry about what every single character in that bar is going to say. But how are you going to get there? You're not going to get there by not trying to make games, by not interviewing people from Bioware, by not doing these things. You still have to put yourself out there and look at look for opportunities and seize the ones that come your way. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of pivot just for the sake of time because I am eating up a whole bunch of time. <laughs> this is definitely going to be one of the longer episodes of the you're, podcast. You're going to have to edit. Like, There's, I think, oh, a couple no. rants so that we've gone on that... I'm, I think I'm just going to put it up pretty much raw and just we'll see how far people get it. I really want to keep the show like as unedited as possible just because that's the way I want to do it. Like yeah. that's the shows I listen to and love. And I, I really love the tangents. Like I think that's where a lot of the value is where if you just do like, there's so much value to me in good conversation like that. That's its own topic, but I really don't want it to be just another like Instagrammy bullet point, like highlight of the whole thing. And if I'm feeling motivated, I might even make like a highlight reel of different episodes as a teaser. Because to me, that's almost a different thing. Like then you're just getting mm. the Cliff Notes version, which is what some people want. But I really want to do my show as like a, um, like the one I really like and listen to that this guy, Christopher Ryan, which I have to tell you more about off air does, um, is literally called Tangentially Speaking. And that's this whole thing. So there's a couple other shows that have gotten surprisingly successful just doing that and that's kind of what I want to do <laughs> so even if it ends up being we lose like 90% of listenership by the end of it because we're ranting our heads off so be it you're still having the experience <laughs> and you're going to learn something from it one way or the other yeah and part I will of that's come back anytime if you awesome. haven't had a guest for a while come in and yeah we can pick up this question list because I don't think we well really... that, that's the thing like we're like two questions in <laughs> and part of that's just laziness on my part like I'm not that interested enough in editing to want to do an edited show because I know how much work that would be and if I like I've been kind of procrastinating on editing the last episode I did and I was just taking like a couple clips out of the intro and trying to make it all work would be such a nightmare <laughs> and so just so just do what you can and you will slowly like over time you'll get better at bringing yourself back to your questions. You'll get to yeah. three and then you'll get well, to four. Well, even just doing one episode, five. I'm finding like, oh, I do actually, like I have to like keep an eye on the time and like make sure I'm actually, if there's points I want to hit, continually bringing it back to that point because otherwise we're just going to be like train tracks so far off it, we can't even get and back there. Tell so. me again, what was the name of the guy? Um, I'll, or we can do it on air, why not? So this guy, Christopher Ryan, he's a bit of a character, but is lovely guy to death, at least from the podcast I've heard of him. He does a podcast called Tangentially Speaking. Um, he's kind of like you in that he's had like a weird life. He like backpacked around a bunch as in his like 20s and all that. And then he went to school. I think he did a degree in psychology and then wrote a book called Sex at Dawn, all about uh, um, prehistory and basically writing against monogamy. <laughs> so his whole argument is like... Um, I don't think it's against monogamy is not even right because it's, it's not against monogamy, but just saying that, that other relationships might be more natural and can work like, um, non-monogamy and stuff, not polyam. I think it's, I forget the term it's to be there's cause there's polygamy, which is like, um, specifically one husband and then many wives, or I forget the other term, which is the reverse. It's not that it's like m multiple partners on both ends. He kind of argues for, but the book is, it isn't actually arguing against monogamy or anything. It's just a different take. Anyways, that's kind of a side note, or at least from, I think that's what a lot of people know him for, but I just know him as this guy 
who has a podcast because he did that and then he started a podcast and he just has like everybody on his show all these random people so he's had like everyone from big wave surfers to like diamond district businessmen who are like own yachts or like just this crazy range of people and he just has the most bizarre conversations sometimes and for at least for me it really like totally changed my outlook on life because it's like whoa I had no idea any of this stuff was out here and before I got into like this podcast and a couple other ones I had like no interest in travel I was pretty set on like I'm gonna do I thought business was cool but I was like I'm gonna go be an engineer or I'm gonna go be this thing and then I slowly kind of got out of that got more into sports and was like whoa there's way more to life than I thought there was so that's kind of the inspiration for this podcast so the only difference between you and Chris is he's had more time to do it. If you keep doing this, there will come a time. And actually, I want to be in the room with you when we listen to this, <laughs> like 20 or 30 or 50 podcasts in, you'll go back over this and you're like, wow, there's so much that I've learned that's doing it. And the only difference between you and the other guy sitting on the couch over there that's like, I want to start a podcast one day is you're doing it. So congratulations. Yeah. And that's all when I talk about doing things that is why I say you're actually on the right path and you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think the great thing about the style of podcasts that so many people who run them have said is that it's kind of an experience focused podcast in that there's value to just doing it. You don't need people listening to it. Like if I go and make a podcast like Serial, which is like some crazy well-produced, I mean, if it was me, it would probably be a little less well done, <laughs> but you can, you get the, like the, the idea where it's like made for the listeners then if people don't listen to it, you're kind of missing out. And maybe you had fun making it, but it's it's not what I want to do. Or this is literally, I would happily do this without mics. The only difference is I'm doing it with mics because suddenly it's way easier to justify people giving me like an hour of their time to sit in front of a mic or a computer and just ramble with me. <laughs> like there's this magic thing that podcasters always talk about with the like the whole podcast effect of like, Suddenly, it's not just, hey, can I have an hour of your time to talk with me about whatever I find interesting? It's, hey, come and do my podcast. We've got listeners. You matter. And I want to hear about what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of pivot to a bonus question that I wanted to ask. I'm just calling it a bonus question because I wanted to end on it because I thought it would be interesting. And like, we could easily do a whole other podcast on this, which is true of most of the questions. (laughs) So hopefully, we don't go for too long. But so you, you recently ran a um, program called Youth Ambassadors for Mental Health, mm-hmm. and which was, again, we could go into a whole other thing about that, but that was like a Zoom call and in-person program for youth learning about like mental health tools, kind of. Yeah. And I just remember in that program, you were um, told me how you'd recently been given an adult diagnosis for ADHD and were trying medication. Okay, so I'm cheating a little bit because I've diagnosed myself. Yeah. But I I have had, along with all of the wonderful things in my life that I share with you, the underbelly of that is that I, like, I didn't fit into the school model, which we've covered, and I had a baby and got postpartum depression, quote-unquote, never really fit as a diagnosis, and then after kids, I still was having issues and wasn't sure and get stressed and anxious and just like totally overwhelmed sometimes. Couldn't get stuff done, can get a project to 80%, have great big ideas, but can't quite complete sometimes. 
procrastinate like a motherfucker, I just tell you. <laughs> and all of these little things. And we've always joked that, you know, like myself and my dad are ADHD. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. For me, ADHD was this thing that school aged boys had, girls didn't really get, and that you outgrew by the time you were like in high school. Yeah. That was kind of like what ADHD was last time I looked in a National Geographic or read something about it when I was like like in 1987, right? So I recently had somebody who's close to me come and say, hey, you know, like I'm, I've tried Ritalin and I, I'm ADHD and we're very similar as people. And I was like, tell me more about that. And so we talked about it a little bit. And through that conversation, I found out that it is as likely for a girl to have ADHD as a boy. Yeah. And that girls are far more underdiagnosed. It is a big problem with ADHD. And like. that an often a major trigger for women, partly because uh, the complexities of the brain respond and react and are triggered with estrogen levels changing. Yeah. So often uh, postpartum depression could be aggravated ADHD. Hmm. So I was like, oh, wow, that like actually fits. So I started doing some reading and I talked to my doctor and... I had like in my mental health journey, I about four years ago had to just say like enough is enough. I just am the way that I am and I'm not going to figure out what's wrong with me because I can't, I don't fit. I'm not bipolar. I'm not, yeah. I'm not social anxiety disorder. I'm not, um, manic depressive. I'm not, I can't, I'm not postpartum depression anymore, but I'm still like having these like really negative things happening in my life. So I started reading about the ADHD, said, you know what? I'm just going to try Ritalin and we're going to see. I've tried every other drug in the world. Like, why not? Yeah. So I have had, I'm on my third week of, of taking Ritalin and I have, because I'm on Ritalin, read some very <laughs> interesting in-depth studies about ADHD. Yeah. One in particular that I wish I could quote her, the, the name of the lady who did the study specifically looking at ADHD and postpartum. We can probably find this and put it in the description. We could. And I, especially, so she is interviewing different people about their experience of motherhood and there's quotes from the different women and all of them could be me, but participant eight could be my life. Everything that she says, hmm. everything. And I just like was like, oh my goodness, like this is so amazing to just finally have a way to understand and operate. And so I'm 44 years old. I am newly diagnosed with ADHD. Hmm. And you're like, oh, what's ADHD? Yeah, what's the I difference in terms of... I don't there? believe it, it's been a disorder. I see, yeah. So I won't take the D. I'll take the first D. I won't take the second D. So I've changed it to gift. I have hyper... I have attention deficit and hyperactivity gift. And that gift has given me the opportunity to see opportunities everywhere I go, to connect really random dots, to learn amazing things about the way the world works. And also have these other things going back. Like let's look at intentional community. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. There was really good things and then there was this other stuff. That was yeah, really it's like hard. more intense. You're never going to get something that's all good or all bad. Everything is going to have the good side and the bad side. And, yeah. and by focusing on the D and the disorder of it, I think it really takes away from everything the society I was just has say, to gain from neurodiversity. I was, gonna, yeah, I was just going to ask if you'd heard of the neurodiversity movement because it's the exact what you're saying. Exactly. Like it's, 
it is really sad how a lot of different ways of thinking have become smeared as like um, a disability. And there is like it, the sword cuts both ways because I've heard arguments against that movement, which are actually really true that it kind of goes too far. Like it's important not to like fetishize autism just because some people with Asperger's syndrome have done really well. Like there's still lots of genuine problems that it causes for people. It does, 100%. And like not everyone's Mark Zuckerberg and I would hope that Mark Zuckerberg is doing pretty well, but I'm sure he's had lots of really intense 100%. struggles from it. Like it's not, it's not a superpower, which some people have in some ways it is, but it's not like a magic it's thing. It's just a different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just not different. a superpower or a not, it's a diversity and it's the same as how yeah. we have all for some people. It really is eyes. a disability though. And that's where it is important to draw the line. But I think for like, or I don't know if there needs to be a lawn drawing, like it's still important to recognize that, but there is a lot of truth to the whole thing that a lot of people who just have a different way of thinking and don't fit in as well have really been like labeled as you're, you're wrong. You need to fix this kind of thing. And, and we just aren't going to make a system for you to learn in that's going to work for you. And like, thank yeah. God I had Jerry Ann's who allowed me to do all kinds of learning. I learned how to budget. I learned how to invite people to a fancy thing. I learned how to get sponsorship. I learned how to direct a play and work with people. And I had to fire an actor. Like I had a whole wow. bunch of life experience yeah. doing that special project. And so this is where the special projects and stuff become very important for the people out there who just aren't going to yeah. be the spreadsheet people. But I mean, we look at, look, okay, let's pretend you took that time machine and you went back into the hunter gatherer time. The, all of the different things that we've come across, all of these new ways of doing things they must have come from somewhere if everybody just did everything exactly the same yeah. and didn't go out and try that new red berry or smash those two rocks together well a lot of conditions we, we consider like we get here total totally disabling now or we're like a mental stuff we're actually like completely embraced like apparently i don't want to speak about this too much because i really don't know what i'm talking about yeah. but apparently a lot of people who are like in their tribe or like the shaman, um, most psychologists would like, if they were a kid, they'd probably be diagnosed with, um, I forget the name of the condition. Um, <laughs> I'm totally blanking on it here. I might have, if to they like, were here now when they were in our, edit in. yeah, it's not, uh, what is it? I'm going to have to like edit it in here. What is it? Um, doesn't matter. Fill in the word and then it's keep not, going. it's not dyslexia. It's like, what is it? Um, schizophrenia. Took me too long. I think mm. a lot of them would be diagnosed with schizophrenia because when we have people like in our time, if you're seeing things that aren't like right in front of you, kind of mm. like that everyone else isn't seeing, that's oh, like yeah, they you're were totally insane. Yeah. yeah, and we're in like their culture. That's like you're receiving gift, like, and they're valued for that. So now maybe you can argue about like whether or not that's true or not. Like, is it? Are they just being wacky? Maybe. I don't and, know. And part of it is we're I can't just speak not going to gonna know about these things. For me, but I, I, yeah. assuming this diagnosis for myself has given me a butt ton of reading to do and a, and a whole bunch of understanding. And I think for me, just having the answer, having that piece of the puzzle of saying, oh, it turns out girls can have the neurodiversity. Yeah. And oh, it turns out that I'm one of them. And oh, look at how other people have the same things as me and normalizing my experience that I'm not just crazy and then giving me this extra set of tools that I can implement and I can use has been really freeing. 
as far yeah. as my mental load that I carry around being late for things, being forgetful, never being able to find <laughs> my phone, being like being messy to the point of it bothering me. So then I don't want to, I wonder even my minimalist sort of like, I don't want to buy stuff and I don't want to maintain stuff. Is that even because I'm ADHD and I'm probably going to forget, like, yeah, I'm not going to keep this stuff up. It stresses me out. It's more stuff. And when you have ADHD and you walk through the store and bright, shiny, Ooh, I'm going to buy it. Ooh, I'm going to buy it. Ooh, I'm going to buy it. You end up piling stuff on yeah. yourself. So I mean, it's just been a really interesting journey for me and I'm excited to have the whole winter to play with it. I'm really curious, like just, if you're okay yeah. to talk about it on air, like yeah. obviously you don't want to, I can just cut, <laughs> cut yeah, it out entirely. Fine. But, um, how have you found like actually taking medication for it? Because I totally relate to a lot of what you're saying. When I was like way younger, I was diagnosed with ADHD. I'm not like, I was diagnosed with a couple other things too. So I don't really know how much of that was me being, I was in a, like a totally different kid than I am now. So I don't entirely identify with, I'm not sure like how much of that is still fits with me, mm. but I definitely have like just looking at my behavior in my brain. Like I definitely have a lot of that. Yeah. And I've never, I've never been given, like I've never taken medication like antidepressants or um, any of the, Ritalin or I'm not sure. I'm trying to forgetting what the right term is, but most of them are um, a couple molecules off from like, amphetamines and stuff which are generally prescribed for attention deficit disorder um yeah so i am taking this the like super quick ritalin so yeah I, I, I take it in the morning when i wake up and then i take it again at around noon it lasts for two to three hours okay so one of the challenges i have is like it obviously because like, i want to spread out how long i'm on the medication i sort of yeah. it wears out before i come off so i very often forget my second pill Huh. So that's not so often. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that a yeah. little bit with my doctor. Have you ever tried release. the like the slow release one? Or? Well, this is what I'm saying is I okay. just I've tried it to see if it could be a fit, and now there's a whole bunch of other different yeah drugs like and there stuff. is so, so I'm gonna many work with there. my doctor to figure out what the right exact thing is for me. So that's the first thing. Um, I have I would say that it's far more subtle than I would think to the point where sometimes I'm like maybe this is just a placebo. Except yeah. that I really know when I'm not taking it now. Like, huh. I really notice if I'm not taking it. And um, what I would say is I don't think people experience me very differently on the outside. I think I'm still very bubbly. I think I still have lots of great ideas. I still have these things. What I notice for myself is that it's easier when I wake up in the morning and I have those three really important things that I need to get done. I'm far more likely to actually get those three things done now yeah. that I'm on Ritalin, rather than waking up and going in the kitchen and bumming into a muffin tin, which makes me think I need to make muffins. And then as I'm making muffins, I realize the oven is dirty. So I clean the oven. I still have to get to that thing I'm supposed to be doing, but I just like, I'm, yeah, it's the impulse of just the next and next, kind of which is why people are like, Vivian, you do so much. And it's so crazy. What Ritalin seems to have done for me is it allows me to control the thing that I'm going to focus on more. Yeah. So I'm able to sit down and crank out an 11 page report and be interrupted by my children, but not sidetracked. 
if that makes sense. So I can get yeah. up, go to the bathroom, talk to Ben for a bit, and then go back to the thing that I'm working on, which I haven't really had. And then, so what happens when I wasn't able to do that? I'd get up from it, go to the bathroom, start talking to Ben, realize I've been pulled away from this thing and I've lost my focus on it. And now I'm frustrated at Ben for stopping me and asking me a question. And now I'm frustrated and I'm angry and that's not the mom I want to be. Yeah. So I just feel like my rope is longer. I'm calmer. I'm, I have far more energy by the end of the day. One of the things they say about uh, ADHD is it feels like you're being driven by a motor. Hmm. And I definitely relate to that. And what do they mean when you're I, being driven by a motor? Like it, they, they, Under the surface, you feel as though you're being driven by a motor. And just I, that like you're, you're being driven by something else? You're just driven. Just, you're just, there's a motor going and you're just going, 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 yeah. going, 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 going. And, I can relate to that feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? And so, yeah. like, for me, I'm like, what, there's people out there who don't feel like they're driven yeah. by a motor, right? It or is like, definitely... oh, like, I'm, I met somebody who yeah. told me that when they have a shower, all they think about is, like, there's the soap. I put the soap on. There's the shampoo. Really? I shampoo my hair. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you... you I, yeah, it's I been come up so with like weird, 10 like, business plans by the time I'm done a shower. Better. Like, and it's like you you don't just have ideas constantly popping into your head. You're not just like on like all the time until you're suddenly not. Like what? And so one uh. of the things my husband's always said about me is I'm, I have two settings, on or off. Full tilt or I'm literally so exhausted that I'm <laughs> laying in bed and I'm done. Like I use every drop of energy and I've it's never been It's kind of hilarious how many that. like how much I relate to <laughs> so, like, well, there you go. I so. always joke to myself, I'm either so busy, I'm in tears, or I have literally nothing going on. And <laughs> like, exactly there's no, the same. And so no I feel between. like I have better balance and I have better time management. And I have energy left. The thing that's really interesting is I'm technically not quote unquote drugged anymore in the evenings. But what I'm finding for myself is that I have, I still have extra energy left at the end of the day. And I'm like reading fiction. Like huh, I'm like yeah. picking up chapter books to read just because I have energy left at the end of the day and I've gotten lots done. I've been very productive. And so it's like, I can gift myself the leisure time. Yeah. So this could all be placebo. I have no idea. I'm going to go in and mean, talk to my doctor again and find out. The thing out. with placebo is that if it works, it's it still works. still don't care. <laughs> like, don't care. It doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't Let me, me take my sugar pills in peace. Bingo. We're super happy with it. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so for me, I think like, that's another one. Like I am a total oversharing on your podcast that I am on this medication. But if somebody was to listen and get to this point of the podcast and they wanted to talk to somebody about ADHD, I'd love to get a whole group of women specifically yeah. who feel that they like suspect that they have ADHD and just compare stories and notes. Because technically if one in 10 have ADHD, 50, 50 women, that means one in 10 moms that I'm friends with has ADHD. Yeah. Super high. It's funny that you say that you're oversharing because I really feel like this is one thing that has to be talked about more. Like that's another big thing for me about having a more like conversational podcast is I kind of hate that, or at least now nowadays, like after hearing people have like insanely honest conversations and stuff, it's definitely makes me appreciate how much value there is to that because it's the kind of thing where like you went, I don't know, like how many, <laughs> how many years without even thinking about that as a serious possibility. Oh, like joking about and it. And it was, what it took was some other person being like, oh, I've, I've had this thing happen. And that's how problems like this get solved. So Exactly. And that's why I'm totally happy to share it because it yeah. literally was a client of mine who shared with me, hey, 
you know, we always joke about this. Well, guess what? And it's working. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll look into it for myself. And it's just been the most like eureka. Yeah. My life has been in a really long time. And my husband, like I'll read something and I'll, I'll send it to him and he'll come out of his office and literally look at me and be like, holy man, (laughs) that is exactly what it's like to live with you or whatever, (laughs) whatever it is that I'm reading. And so there's just like in that, like, how do you reduce shame? Well, you find out you're not the only one and you're like, you're just a normal person. Well, that's, that's always been like a big thing for me is just, I've like, I've, this is the first time I've ever said to anybody who's not my family, like even mentioned anything like that, just because it's always been a thing for me of like, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of people looking at me as labels. That really freaks me out. Like, I don't want, I feel like it would just change people's perceptions. Like, I'm curious if you've experienced that at all. Like, I feel like it's not the same though, if people already know you, because anybody who knows you is probably like, no shit. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much that's I feel like for me, it's like anybody who thinks about it for a second, they're like, um, yeah, that's not surprising. But even still, like if I, I'm curious if you've had any people, maybe who didn't know if they've like, if if it had an effect on that, or even with people you did know. Here's the thing. It's none of my business what they think of me. Yeah. I don't care. Like, honestly, if, if somebody who was going to consider using me as a business coach was to be put off by the fact that I have ADHD, then I am the wrong person for them to be doing their work with. I'm not going to give them any value because they're going to, I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to be who I am. And they're not, that's not what they're going to look for. So, and, and going back to the freedom of being in the financial position that I'm in now, yeah, I don't have to take every client that comes in my door. So I'm actually better off to flat out. I might just even put it on my website. Like, yep, here we go. Diagnosed ADHD. Well, maybe I should go get a real diagnosis before <laughs> running around town saying this, but, but just like yeah. saying like at the end of the day, um, I can be valuable. So I can be valuable to a business person who is also ADHD ADHD people are incredibly drawn to entrepreneurship. Yeah. I think it is really like that kind of goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand. And so how many business people out there might actually be in this situation and understanding how their brain works and, and setting Maybe themselves you start up have by to, success. have to start offering like ADHD coaching <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> when you get things figured out a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Give me, give me like another six months to learn everything. Cause yeah. that's about how long it'll take me. But it, it is a really interesting thing for me to, to consider the fact that I think along the way, like I, I look at all the businesses, I look at everything that I did and I'd always hit this point where suddenly it would require like 16 staff who want to know what their schedule is and who need to be put on payroll. And by the way, there's all those government forms yeah. and all of this stuff that needs to be done and organized. And I couldn't do it successfully. But if I had known that this was like, Hey, your genius is this over here. And this is the side thing. And actually you don't need to sell your business. You need to hire an office manager (laughs) and it's okay to hire one because this is how you're going to pay for it. Would have been super, super helpful. Right. Cause instead I basically went, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I sold it. Right. So it's interesting actually to my whole story that I just shared with you. And now let's overlap this information we've just put in on the bonus over my whole story. Yeah. You can right? kind of see things in a new You can light, kind like. of see it as like, Oh, so yeah, you went on a holiday and you were supposed to do this, but instead you did this over here. 
Like, <laughs> suddenly it all makes suddenly sense. Suddenly it all like, makes sense, right? Yeah. You know, and like, I mean, we did well with Bo Pinyang. We got it back. We did, we got it into Pier 1 Imports and it was at Urban Barn and like it did well. And then I also, my husband wanted to get married, have kids, and I wanted to have kids for a long time. And I was not going pregnant into a war-torn part of the world. So <laughs> it, again, it just yeah. wasn't serving me anymore. So, you know, it, it went by the wayside. So... I'm curious. I just want to go back to like the actual medication side because I'm really curious about that. Like I've never, I thought about it a couple times now and I've never, I've never actually like tried anything. And I'm, I'm always curious for people who have just because the thing that really turned me off from it was just the side effects. Like I don't know Ritalin as well. I'm for blanking on the name of the other one that's really common. Uh, Adderall. That's what it is. Adderall. It's always like the, the side effects of it are supposedly, I mean, the big one for me was actually just like weight loss. Like, because it's, it is an amphetamine or it's close to it, it's like speeding up your heart and stuff. So you burn way more calories. I'm not, which, I'm unfortunately not receiving that side effect. <laughs> I was going to say for most people, that's awesome. But for the weightlifting, it's like, mm. the, it's not, and even for exercise, it can be, I think there can be complications there. Just Okay. Well, what I would say heart, is that but, an interesting thing about the way that they've built Ritalin with the two to three hour release. Yeah. See, I'm not sure about Ritalin. I really don't know. You could technically take it just like if you had to sit down and study or you had to do an exam. Huh. It, I mean, think about it. Two yeah. to three hours. That's a morning period of school and yeah. an afternoon period of school. And then you can be off of it. And it, and it's not like an antidepressant where it has to build up into your system. And then if you miss a couple of pills, you're screwed and you have to come off of it slowly. It's kind of more like Tylenol. Yeah. So when you're on it, you're on it. And when you're off of it, you're off of it. And it's not this whole big thing to try it. So that was what sold me. Like a, a lot of the drugs that like when I had postpartum yeah, depression, like, they were Adderall like, you have like... to give it six weeks before you know if it's working or not. And I'm like, huh. I need it to be working right now. Yeah. Like, I'm like really desperate right now. And, and so, and then you get onto it and then it becomes a part of your life. And then getting off of any of those is really, really hard. My experience of Ritalin is that like, you can forget to take it for five days or not need to take it. Like if yeah. you're going out and you're mountain biking and you don't need to be focused or you're going to the fair and you want to be like, bing, 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 because yeah. that's fun for you, you can do that. And then huh. I have to write an 11-page report. I'm going to wake up that morning. I'm going to take Ritalin. I'm going to do my morning routine. Yeah. And then I'm going to sit down and I'm going this to work totally on my report. totally giving me a new perspective on it because, yeah. yeah, are you okay for time? I might end yeah. up splitting this into two, but this is like opening up another box. I mean, is, you could. It very. It, is really it would be a really interesting thing to do, do like a part one and a part two. Yeah, that's what I'd probably end up doing depending on how much longer we go. But yeah. So I'm really curious then, like, do you find you crash? Because the other thing I've heard, it was like, I think this is more for Adderall, but it's like you're you're going really hard and then you kind of crash and you're just dead, which didn't seem that appealing to me I but haven't had that experience I'm not on Adderall though yeah I, mean, I, I don't know if that Ritalin. was Adderall if that was so Ritalin, um but. I feel more level throughout the entire day huh than I've ever felt before yeah because the way you're describing it it almost sounds the opposite of that where you used to be like go 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 go, go crash which I kind of do anyways so it's yeah more of like a I Huh. I'm like just thinking about the feeling in my body. And, and I think one of the reasons that sometimes I'm like, maybe it's just a placebo. Like maybe she gave me sugar pills is because <laughs> I don't have any side effects. Wow. And I have never tried a medication. Like I've tried medications and I've elected to not take them Yeah. because they really messed with things that are really important to me. Yeah. One being, and I'm, you're a teenager, so I don't know how much of this I should go into, but one being really bad libido 
And yeah. that's really hard to be in a marriage with young kids I'm not and you've already be. got that. <laughs> right? I'm not going to be offended by talking about libido. I'm <laughs> there you go. Well, so anyhow, this... Teenagers uh, or are like, usually more interested in that. But. Or all sorts of issues with... Sorry, I just bumped the mic. Oh, don't worry. All sorts of issues with... Um, it missing a pill ADHD, right? Yeah. So you miss a pill in the morning and then you have a really funky like roller coaster because you've missed a pill. And I'm not getting that, which is yeah. a really big side effect. Another one that I didn't like with a lot of the antidepressants that I was on, or one specifically that I tried, um, I had to get a liver test every three months. And wow. I wasn't feeling like I was getting any good results from it. Yeah. So then on top of that, to know that like I could be burning my liver, I was just sort of like, mm, I don't think this is working well enough or doing enough for me that it's worth me being on this medication. So at that point, so like, and I want to go back over this whole thing. Sorry, I'm just going to pause for a second and check the mics. We might've lost a second. Okay. All right, so we're back. Turns out the audio program just stopped showing the levels for the history because I think the, it was just going for long enough. So we both had a mini heart attack there midway through what we were talking about. <laughs> we wouldn't have even known how to redo it. It just would have been a totally different podcast. Yeah. Well, so again, but... thankfully, we haven't lost it. We're just going to have to <laughs> pick back up now that we're all a little scared of the mics. Where were we? we I think we were just talking. You were talking no about different antidepressants and stuff. Which is, yeah. I was meaning to ask you, like, you've talked in the past at the 10 Club, and I've always been, one of the, my favorite things about you is how open you've been with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people are very buttoned down when it comes to men. It's like, the big ones are like, mental health is almost worse than sex. Like, I feel like more people are willing to talk about that than well, look, like, mental health. The first but, thing that people will talk about about mental health is they'll say, oh, we need to destigmatize it and we need to talk about it more. And then the next thing they'll say is like, I'm fine. <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up with two sides of my family. One side of my family was my mom's side of the family. And if your hair was on fire and oh, you were sitting at dinner and your hair lit on fire, yeah. somebody might say something like, there's a mirror in the hallway. You should go and look in it. <laughs> you might get that. Oh my gosh. On my dad's side of the family, if your hair was on fire, there would be buckets of water poured on you. People would be fighting about who should phone the fire department <laughs> and whether we even needed a hospital or not. And you, it's your fault the fire was on. And like, I mean, everything was loud and angry. And from my childhood perspective, I don't know what my dad experienced of his life and my mom experienced it, but there's, but I just felt like as I grew up, I saw that there were still problems on my mom's side of the family. They just didn't talk about anything. Yeah. And on my dad's side of the family, you couldn't shut them up talking about their problems. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the family I ended up being closest with was my dad's side. Yeah. And so, and I have great aunts and uncles like I'm like oh my god what if you become famous and my relatives hear this podcast and I've insulted them but like I have lovely wonderful individual relationships with aunts and uncles on that side but for the whole I would say is it recording oh yeah it's good sorry I okay. just I looked a level too long there here you can keep talking I'm just gonna or we can pause for a second I'm just gonna move the mouse I just it scared me there because this word we were overwriting Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's even a separate marker. We're all good. So here, my um, inexperience with audio software is showing through. <laughs> that's totally cool. So, uh, so basically, I as a, as I got to be an adult, I was like, yeah, they fight a lot, but they're really real with each other, and you can say anything, and you know you're still loved. Yeah. You can literally have a, f- 
almost close to fist fight. Wow. But really at the end of the day, we're family and it's first. That's how I, I experienced it. And I'm like somewhere in my head, that connection came to mean better out than in. And so I do share very openly about all kinds of things and I probably get judged horribly. There are probably people out there that think I'm a total mess, but let's check <laughs> reality for a second. Yeah. I'm financially independent. I have a lovely husband. I'm in my 16th year of marriage. I have three beautiful children that I like and enjoy hanging out with who really don't have very much as far as like challenges with, you're not running away and taking opioids. Like yeah. I don't have a lot of mess around me Yeah. that I could class as being truly messy. If the messiest thing about me is I'm willing to share openly about my life experience with you, <laughs> then you're doing pretty freaking well. I think you might look in the mirror in the hallway and yeah. see where the mess might really be. And I mean, I, I can relate to you there. I've always been like, I wonder if part of that's like the ADHD thing of just being, well, that's just me being stubborn. I've always been like, <laughs> stick it to the man, kind of like I'll talk openly about whatever. And I've definitely, some people will respond really well to that and will love you to death for it. And other people will hate you. Yeah, there's there's and, probably a time or place and a, a social thing. And yeah, I, I think that I, there, there is I, like, I do walk that line. I think, I mean, I'm not walking it right now. I'm on a podcast, but yeah. but like I haven't, I have come to a podcast where I've been asked to openly speak. Yeah. And the presumption is that people who are listening to your podcast are looking for that. What's different is I'm not going to go to a golf tournament or like a yeah, like a banquet function where I'm expected to kind of wear gloves, and I'm not going to go to that anyways. But like them, I so. might, I might not share that at a table of eight who are at a fundraiser who I've never met because they didn't come to hear my shit. Yeah, right. In this case, no, people decided that. to listen to a podcast by Tristan about ADHD. Yeah, this is literally like and mental health shit. <laughs> <laughs> then let's do it. Like here you go. Here's my shit. Here's my phone number. Call me and tell me your shit. I'm here. We're not going to put your phone number in the You're podcast. Not gonna, I'm but not going to judge me. <laughs> we're going to have to have some sort of contact or maybe I'll just put like a show. Well, I think out. that hopefully what, what will happen from this, from my perspective is it'll get my, some, my poop in a group because I have a website that's like half finished that needs to go up and then well, there you go. they'll just be able to come find me at vivian.viant.ca. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, Cause I don't want to just like hand out your email or, or especially your phone number. Email is one I thing. I can't but, even believe. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, but I, I really believe better out than in. Yeah. No, I completely agree. So getting back to, um, <laughs> all the things I'm going to, now that I've told you why I'm willing to share it, yeah. what, what is it that we're so talking about? So I'm really curious, like what your experience has been with, um, like antidepressants. Like we've kind of okay. talked about the, the ADHD stuff and you're pretty new to that. And it sounds like, or actually, yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to ask about that. So how did you find, like, you haven't gotten a diagnosis, but you did, you just went to your doctor and like, yeah, I, so I, I didn't go to a random doctor anywhere. I went to a doctor that I've been with for eight years. Yeah. Who's been on this journey with me of trying to figure out what the fuck. Yeah. Like, I just want to know what the fuck. <laughs> That's all. I just want to know why sometimes in the middle of the day I lay down because the world's too much and I put the blankets over my head. <laughs> I just want to know why that keeps happening to me. Because on the other hand, I'm this super productive person. I put the community garden in in one school year. I'm doing this job over here. I just sold this company. I'm doing all this great stuff. And then sometimes the world is just too much and I can't figure out why. What's going on? So she's been on a journey with me. So I didn't just walk into like a Medi center and be like, Hey, can you give me some Ritalin? Yeah. I have I a relationship say, like, with my doctor, right? Cause that is, it is a drug that's abused by, or abused not even is the right word in my opinion. I think it's just, it's used in a way the medical system doesn't like, 
by especially Adderall. I don't know about Ritalin, but I, I don't really know anything about the reputation of the drugs. <laughs> so there's there's a movie I'll have to send to you that's it's honestly really entertaining, at least to me. But I'm a kind of a nerd for this kind of stuff called Take Your Pills. And I'm sure if you ask your husband about this, he'd happily tell you about oh, yeah. it. Because like Silicon Valley has really has a reputation for using specifically Adderall as like a productivity drug, just oh. as a way of like because it can make you more focused and stuff. And and it does kind of like rev you up and stuff like that. I mean, I'm talking out of my ass. I've never taken it, so I don't really know. But the like it is kind of has a reputation of like a study drug. To a point where it's so funny because my I guess if you maybe aren't ADHD, it might. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like for someone with ADHD, pump you up. It's meant to be to do have totally different effects for somebody who doesn't. Yeah. So it's kind of a misuse of the drug. But a lot of people who don't have ADHD still find it really works well for them, just in terms of like getting stuff done and choose to. Well, I I just don't I don't know how with the amount of scrolling and screen clicking and stuff that we're doing we couldn't possibly be there somebody should study yeah if there's an increase of adhd symptoms in our world because we're like literally training our well, brain to go bloom, 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 i forgot bloom. the name of the book but so, there was a book that was written about the amount of diagnoses for adhd has like skyrocketed so it's, it's, it is interesting like how much of that is and the book was specifically about children and it was kind of saying that they're over medicating children but I also do wonder how much of that is just societal. People are changing. Like our brains are more and more bombarded. So it's it's like worst time for We're, it. Our brain is just, our brain is evolving. Anyways, it's kind of a, yeah. a side note there. I was just, we, I was just curious. It, because it's interesting. Like, and by it's six months from now, have me back and I'll know everything about it. Because yeah, we'll deep have dive, to have right? again and do a, so, a little um, So if we want to talk about antidepressants and we want to go back to that for a second. Um, yeah. I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm going to get this. I don't want anybody to take what my life experience was as being something they should just go off and do. But I will very openly share that when I had kids, so I probably always had ADHD all along, but I had completely developed an environment where I thrived. I didn't have a nine to five job. I bounced all over the world. I had seasons of work. I had staff to do a bunch of the menial stuff for me that I didn't like doing. This all really I does sound great. <laughs> got to have these ideas. So I had really customed my world to what I liked, right? And then enter children. I have children. There is an estrogen change that happens when you have babies and estrogen is somehow yeah. linked to the brain and ADHD. And so let's say that it gets triggered. I now like I'm getting numb lips I am, oh my gosh. I am like, I, at one point I remember talking to my doctor and saying like, well, you know, when you're sitting at the, at the, at the traffic lights and you're, and you just start crying and then you keep going on your day. And my doctor was like, he's like, stop for a second. Let's go back to the part where you're sitting at traffic lights and you're just crying. I'm like, yeah, don't you do that. And he was like, no, that's, that's not okay. And I was like, oh, well, you know, and I'm really super paranoid that I'm not doing a good job. I'm really worried. I'm going to leave my baby in the car that I'm going to forget to bring my, ba- like I'm going to take the groceries and I'm not going to come back for the baby or I'm going to take the baby in and I'm going to f- get sidetracked with something outside in the garage. Yeah. Like I'm genuinely worried about that. But like, and they're like, Oh, you're paranoid. Oh, well maybe I just had ADHD. Cause like I literally could have <laughs> just left my kid in the car. Like there's all sorts of things are going on, but clearly something about suddenly having a, having to be scheduled and routine and pay attention to like this little tiny living thing that I have to keep alive. Like, this is not just losing my phone anymore, yeah. people. No, this I is a living person, like, right? I'm in full force And there. feeling for the first time in my life that I'm failing. 
Ouch. <sighs> like, that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. And then, like, even now thinking about it, I'm crying. Just thinking, like, the amount of pressure that I was putting on myself. This yeah. was not coming from either set of grandparents. This was not coming from parenting groups. There wasn't even Facebook back then. Like this was all just how I thought I was going to rock this shit. Cause I've rocked everything I've I ever say, done. I feel like this would be way, way harder for you because you're so used to like kicking this, ass at every, everything, yeah, kicking like, ass, like just kicking ass and taking names. And now exactly. all of a sudden I'm like, I can't even like, I can't function and I'm not sleeping properly. And I'm trying to be the best, best, breastfeeding, co-parenting, co-sleeping, like you name it, I'm doing it kind of thing. And I remember uh, Sophie needed an operation and there was a nurse that would come to weigh the baby because she had to be gaining certain weight. Uh, she had a hernia yeah. and, uh, the nurse kept coming and I was just like, uh, and I kept forgetting she was coming or like, I would like phone somebody and make plans like, Oh yeah, I'll meet you at the gym at 10 o'clock, like an hour and a half from now. And then she'd phone and be like, where are you? And I'd be like, what, where, what? I'd literally Oh my gosh. Drop plans with people that fast, right? So anyhow, she shows up to weigh the baby and I'm like, listen, the baby's fine. What like what is it gonna take for you to stop coming? And she's like, We every time I come, I tell you about this postpartum depression group and I just want you to go once. If you go once to this postpartum depression group, you stay for the whole time, you don't have to talk, just listen to the other women in the room, I will stop coming. And I was yeah. like, Fine, I'll just go to your stupid group. Show up at this group sit with these other women. I'm the first to talk. I'm like, I'm here because blah, blah, blah told me I had to, or she's going to keep coming to my house and weighing my baby. <laughs> <laughs> like super into this, right? <laughs> Everybody else goes around the circle and every story they shared was something that had happened to me that week. Oh and gosh. I was like, Oh my God, I'm totally depressed. And I had no idea. Cause the thing <laughs> about depression is you don't know where you are in the moment. Yeah. Like you just, like what we said, like, like I didn't know there's people in the world that have showers and don't have a million thoughts in their head. Cause I've only ever experienced my experience. Yeah. Like I just thought this was parenthood. I just thought feeling overwhelmed and tired and feeling like you're going to lose your baby and <laughs> leave her in the car <laughs> is totally just normal. Right. I yeah. just thought this was normal. So Going back to how this relates to the drugs, um, I, at that point, really didn't want to take the drugs. I was breastfeeding, all of these issues with not wanting to have the side effects and all of that. And the choice, I just made the choice with my doctor that it was at least worth trying because what I was experiencing could be better. Yeah. And so I decided I would try drugs. The first thing that I tried was Zoloft and I just felt like a cardboard cutout of myself. It really didn't do anything yeah. for me. Uh, and then I can't even list them all. I think off. Zoloft in particular, I remember watching a commercial for it and like it was just dying laughing just because of the side effects for it. Like, yeah. because it's one of those, I've, I don't understand the mechanisms too well, but often a lot of antidepressants can have like, they just, because they affect your brain, they can either do good or they can make things yeah. worse. And and somebody but, else listening to this podcast might be like, hey, I'm on Zoloft, I love it. Yeah. To them it works, right? So it you have work. to keep trying but different ones until you find a thing. the side effects for it, it's kind of comical because it's like, Always side is. effects can improve, like can include like. And then it's like they talk for seven hours and the suicide. person is like dancing on the stage saying how happy <laughs> yeah. they are. Yeah, I know. Well, this was my whole thing. Like it was a huge, huge gap, like jump for me to think that I was going to take a drug, but I had this little baby and I needed to do yeah. something. And so I settled, I think on, in the end I was on a, a Fexer. I don't even remember what it was, but there were massive side effects. The libido one probably being the very worst of them. Wow. But also just if I missed a couple of pills. Did you find you had pills, that though with depression anyways? 
Because, like, I don't, it's hard for me to say if I've ever been depressed, but it's definitely being. So, like, Tristan, being a parent is a libido problem. <laughs> the I can other problem that. is just the inability to have an orgasm. Yeah. So I could, I was inorgasmic for Ouch. years. And so. Jeez. Yeah. yeah but there's like hacks. There's hacks. Like you just don't take the pill for a day or two and then you can and then you go yeah. back on. Like I cannot believe I'm sharing this. But anyhow. Um, <laughs> but but there are like there's ways that people who are choosing to medicate are Coping able to cope with these things. Yeah. But I just hit this point where I was just like I, I, I don't know like exactly. Like I can't even tell you the exact journey because I was on sometimes and I was not on sometimes. Huh. For me, sometimes the benefit of at least having the edge taken off was way better than living drug free. Like yeah. I was I stopped being attached to the identity that I was gonna get life right. That there was some that version of like, right. There's, there's so much stigma around taking stuff like that. But it's really when you think about it, it's like it's not any different from if you like go to the gym or do something. Like you're pumping your brain with natural chemicals versus unnatural ones. And What's you know what? That was something like, that did when I, when I could stay balanced, exercise on its own is enough for me. Like yeah. it, it really was enough. But how with two, two small babies and pregnant with a third, do you go and get your 40 minutes of exercise? Like there's yeah. just all sorts of other impediments that are happening for me, that were happening for me in that stage of life that I was in. So fast forward to my kids are now all school age. They're in school. I'm having like a really bad winter. Is it seasonal affective disorder? Is it this? Is it that? And I just like, I basically got to a point where I was like, I just need to know what the fuck is going on. So that was when we started trying on the diagnoses and the labels. It's like, well, is it, you know, social anxiety disorder? I don't think so. Unless that's like means something totally different to psychiatrists than me. I don't think I have social anxiety. I don't know. But bipolar, maybe. Well, uh, I don't really swing that far to the right and swing that far to the left. I'm far more like on a daily wavy kind of thing than these like, and manic as I say, like I just couldn't find anything that fits. So one day I, um, I just decided there wasn't anything wrong with me. And yeah. I mean, that sounds awful. And I'm sure people are like, you can't just do that. You can't just decide there's nothing wrong with you. It's because there are some very ill people that do that. They're like, oh, no, I'm fine. And like, no, my friend, the devil is sitting behind me. Like there are people yeah. who desperately need to be medicated. And I, I'm not, I don't want to advocate for like, you should go cold turkey off your meds. But yeah. in my case, I just wasn't fitting in any of the balls. The meds were like taking a little bit of the edge off, but like still not really doing that much. I remember getting an email from a neighbor who was like, you know, you're screaming a lot lately and we're really worried for your children. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm having, I'm just trying a new medication is really not working. I'm getting off of it, but it's going to take a while. I'll try to scream a little quieter. Like, I'm really sorry, Yeah. but this is my real life and you are my judgy neighbor instead of my village. Yeah. What I really needed was you to ring the doorbell and say, Hey, can I take your kids to the park? Yeah, that's kind of screwed up. Like, <laughs> right? Really? But yeah, like that's a real life experience. And yeah. then you're like, you're shaming yourself because you're like, what? but you're like so in your reptilian brain having an anxiety attack and you're like totally overwhelmed and you can't control it. I'm not meaning to yell at my kids, but my kids won't shut up. <laughs> so I'm yelling at them <laughs> yeah. because I'm freaking out on the inside of my body. And so how do you, how do you manage that? How do you control that? Well... In my case, one of the things that did the best for me was starting to do professional, like personal development. And I've shared with you that yeah. I've done so many courses now with so many different great organizations and we can get, and we can do another whole podcast <laughs> yeah. about, about that kind of work. Um, and, 
And even like living at the eco village gave me a lens to do this through. And the more you can learn and the more you can know about yourself, the better off you are. But I had tried everything on. I'd tried on intergenerational trauma. I had, I had tried on all of these different things. And what I really, what I had to decide for myself was that actually I was never going to know. And it actually doesn't matter why. And it's nobody's, it doesn't matter even if it's somebody's fault. I am in this place and I don't like the place I'm in and it is my job to figure out how to live, like how to accept this is where I'm at. Now what, now what am I going to do? How can I change? What can I do? And I had a really huge problem with spending money on myself. So like you look at a course, it's going to be a weekend course. It's going to be $600, 600. What? Yeah. I'm not going to spend that. But I had come to the point and I had found out about a course during that yes week we had talked about earlier where I had said I would say yes to everything for 10 days. And so I took it because I was in my yes pile. Like I don't have a choice. It's $600. Yeah. I'll go down and listen to the, you know, info session on this it and save a hundred dollars. This is the pursuit of excellence yeah. that I, that I ended up doing. And then my husband ended up doing, and then my sister and her brother and a whole bunch of other people just saw such miraculous changers. It's not a cult. Um, and, and, and I should get money if anybody goes to the pursuit because of this, you need to tell them that I sent you and then they should phone me and at least thank me. But, um, get this but I had going. gotten to this point, <laughs> yeah, let's turn it into a call. Um, but I, I just, I had to like, just decide like, I'm the only one who can fix this. And I know exercise helps me and I don't have the excuse of young kids anymore. So yeah. I have to start exercising because I deserve to. And, and Yes, all sorts of generational trauma. We can look into that. We can deep dive into how bad things are. Or we can say, yeah, okay, they're, they're maybe. And maybe these are the things that are happening. So now what am I going to do when these things happen? How am I going to create more balance in my life? How am I going to you know, ask for what I want in life? How am I going to put myself out of my comfort zone? How am I going to like challenge myself? And, and it's one thing to have done all these great things in my twenties and then feel like I'm like rotting in my thirties. Well, whose fucking fault is that? (laughs) Me, I'm not doing anything fun with my life. So let's make a bucket list and let's start knocking things off again. I got to go back to school. I was never good at school. Oh my God. I got to go back. Well, let's go and see if you can be good at school now with this new mindset and this new idea of like, be damn sure. Like a powerful revelation. 100% powerful. And now, so now I've gone through all of this. I've been completely drug free for free for four years Yeah, after trying everything under the sun. Is it four years already? It's pretty much four years. You should be saying like three and a half years because like antidepressant free. You sound like some sort of recovering person, but like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no, antidepressant free. I've been antidepressant free for, for three and a half years at least. Yeah. Um, and I, how did you find like the transition off? Like, was it I like shouldn't tell you this because I really don't advocate for it. I, I literally cold turkeyed. Oh, is and the, I really you not shouldn't have. That? You're really not supposed to do that. Okay. But I had forgotten my pills, like ADHD. Yeah. And I had gone for this four day weekend, and I had called to get somebody to send some pills to, uh, so I could pick them up. I was going to Nanaimo and I was already at Parksville when I figured out I didn't have them. And I phoned and I said, Hey, can you move my prescription? Can you just put like six pills? Just like get me through the weekend. I had lots at home, Yeah, but I was going and I'd already done some of this coursework and I'd already like accepted that I had to take responsibility for my life and what was going on. Yeah. So you're going through this big moment. I'm going through this big thing and I'm going to this, like this four day weekend to really like get, wrap my head around these tools that I'm learning. And I get told, 
uh, you can have more pills if you go in and do your blood test. Cause I hadn't done my blood test yet. Yeah. And I like got off the phone and I was like, Oh my God, I am not even seeing any benefits from these pills. And you're about to go get a blood test. And I have to get a blood test every three months. Yeah. And my doctor has just refused to help me. Like my choices now are drive home and get my pills or go cold Turkey for four days. Wow. That was my choice. Literally my choices in that moment. And I was just like, I was on a really low dose and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be surrounded by people for four days. I'll let them know when I get there. We'll see. Yeah. And I, I just came off and I was actually, I think I had enough, like I had like emergency pills and I had enough to get through the first three days, but I just didn't have enough for the last day or whatever. I don't really know. All I know is that I still have a big honking container of these pills from three and a half years ago that I bumped into the other day and was like, what do I do with these? I am never going to go down that road again. Yeah. Is it a and thing yet to be like the ADHD really medication was, is such a huge difference for me. Huh. So yeah, I that does make me curious. Like feels like I should be trying something <laughs> just cause it's like, I, I think like the big unworkable I had to get around with the taking any kind of drug in the first place is some sort of drug, even with side effects was better than nothing Yeah. at that point in my life with the young children while I couldn't be exercising, while I couldn't be taking care of myself. And I was so miserable. I was crying at, at traffic lights. Yeah. Like it was still a better than nothing choice. And when I got through the fog on the other side and could make these other changes, like I didn't go cold Turkey. I changed to behavior modification. Like I, I didn't just go, like I'm not doing anything and I'm going to go and lay in my bed with my blankets over my head. Yeah. I made massive changes. I took on daily exercise an hour a day. Yeah. I took on, and which we all know, like we see all the people are like, this is better than antidepressants. So I yeah. had taken that on. I also had regular counseling. I wasn't going to the doctor anymore, but I was still, I still had somebody that was checking in on me that was watching me go off. Like, so it was like cold Turkey off the medication, but it wasn't like, but yeah, I just right decided there was nothing wrong with me. Yeah. And See, it, that's I just like, like a way different approach. Yeah. Then. It's a different, it's a different, but the mindset that I had been coming at myself for a really long time. And I think we're kind of trained going back to the marketing is that there are all these experts that know how the world is and they are they, they're the, they're the experts on us and, and we're at their mercy. Whatever they decide we are, we're there. And I don't look at doctors that way anymore. I'm like, you know, a whole bunch about these subjects It's my job to get my questions answered. But ultimately I am responsible for my life and I am the expert on Vivian. And you might say, I think you might have social anxiety disorder. And my next thing is really, you convince me, you tell me (laughs) Why? I feel like you must really piss off some doctors, but I, it's just so necessary because like there's so many cases where things get misdiagnosed or especially with mental health, like with a medical condition, it can be kind of like, but even then there's so many issues where it's like doctors often can get to a place where they're just so authoritative because like they see the same thing day in, day out. And then as the quote goes, if you have a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail or something like that. That's but a really it, good one. I, I forget how it goes. It's like, yeah, if you give a, if you give a man a hammer, then every problem starts to look like a nail or something like that. Yeah. But, so I don't know. Like I, I, I think that the doctor who tried on the, like, and didn't even like, just was like, you have this and here's the pills Yeah. after talking to me for 10 minutes. 
Yeah, see, that's like the... I've been my I've been knowing yeah. myself for 40 years at that point, right? That's like, the thing that scares me about medication. Or 38 years or whatever I was. Like it's just like... prescription of it, Like, kind just... Of? I... I the, the social anxiety that I do have is I really don't like going to doctors and I hate asking for help. <laughs> so And I do cry very easily in situations where I feel like I am at the mercy, like that I'm maybe not going to be heard right or I'm asking for help and I might not get it. Yeah. I do get really teary very quickly. And so I'd gone to this doctor. It was like a psychiatrist. Like this is the big guns. I'm not just going to my family doctor anymore. Yeah. And so I get there and I have this weird, I get lost on the way there and I'm, the waiting room is weird. There's all this exercise equipment in it and these weird magazines. And I'm just like, so feeling like vulnerable and out of place. And then I go in his office and he's like, so tell me about yourself. And I burst into tears. And so from his perspective, if he's only got 10 minutes of knowing me and the entire 10 minutes that he knows me, I'm crying. Of course I have social anxiety disorder. I must do this all over town. I must like walk down the superstore aisle crying when there's no milk for me to buy. I must like, clearly she's got this, but like it just, didn't fit so but I let myself be labeled with that and went well I need to figure out how to jam my foot in this shoe because clearly the professional well wait a minute the professional's known me for 10 fucking minutes and asked me a total of three questions there's no version of reality when something that is so complex yeah wow that's that's crazy like that and is the thing that's and just, in the case like you're like, oh, you must piss off a lot of doctors. I did not go back and say, okay, you think social anxiety? Prove it. Yeah. Tell me why. Tell me what you think. Let me try it on with the rest of my life because you don't get to come home with me. You don't have a Truman Show video <laughs> of my house. You don't see me out in public in social sit- situations. So what was it? What is it that makes you think this? And let me decide for myself what this is. So I have other doctor experiences where it's been like, I've been in the office for an hour and a half and we've sat and we've asked a million questions and we've done that. So I'm not saying every doctor experience has been horrible. I'm just saying that I've let some doctor experiences be horrible because I have walked into their office with the mindset that they have power over me and that they have more skills over me and that somehow even though they're not even wearing white lab coats anymore, but it's just this institutional idea that we, you know, like we give our power to other people because they're the professionals. And so we clearly don't have a voice in our own There's a lot of truth to that. Like, right? The way our health care is kind of done, it's kind of like you're just being spoon-fed stuff and you kind of just hope like, yeah. I think that you, of... two people could experience the exact same doctor differently based on the mindset they walk into when they walk in. Wow, so if yeah. you walk into a doctor and you're like, you hand over your, like, tell me what's wrong with me. I'll listen to anything you say. Okay, you're the expert. Oh, my doctor says I have to do this and this and this. <laughs> That's very different than me, the way I walk into doctors now. And I yeah. say, hey, I've heard of this thing. These are my reasons thinking why. I want to hear what you have to say about this. So my ADHD one, for instance. Zoom call See, that's really COVID. good advice right there. I was just going to ask you, like, what's your... So I feel like we should wrap this thing up because we're like... yeah. We're almost on like three hours now, which I'm proud of, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so then you can cut it into three two, episodes or whatever. Like I don't, yeah, no, I'll, I'll split it up into two probably, but I'm happy about this. Um, what is your advice for people who are like listening to this? They're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe so, I'm in, they're in the same boat. What do you like? Where do you go once you hit that revelation? What do you think is the, or do well, you just have any advice? I would advice say that the best thing to do, boat? first thing that you should do if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, maybe I am depressed or oh, maybe I have an issue is give yourself a hug and a pat on the back because 
at least being willing to consider it is huge and massive. And there are people who are in such denial, they'll never even get there. Okay. Okay. So now there is a chance. What are you going to do about it? Your choices are stick your head back in the sand or go and ask questions to people that you have in your life. So who can you talk to? You could talk to a counselor. You could talk to a doctor. There's a 1-800 number or like a 811 number in the Valley where you can go at least for a one-off appointment that's free to just say, Hey, these are the things I heard this podcast and she said these things and I cry at lights all the time and I didn't know it or whatever the thing is. Right. And then remember that all of these experts are there to advise you, but ultimately you are the CEO of your own life. You make the final call and you ultimately have to take the information that you can get out of all of these different professionals who are niched in their parts of it parts of the situation or parts of the parts of your puzzle, but ultimately you get to try those pieces on and decide which pieces of the puzzle fit and which ones don't for you, for your ultimate goal, which in my case was more happiness, more satisfaction out of life, more quality time where I felt like I was really able to just be in the moment, more relaxed time, like just what is it that you want out of life? And is this experience that you're having, whatever it is, whether it's feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, feeling like you're going to forget your baby in the car, whatever the thing is, are you living your best life right now? Because if the answer to that is no, you're worth it. It's worth the time to go out and see if you can put some puzzle pieces together. And all along the way, all of the learning that I've done, all of that, that's not for loss. Because maybe my daughter's going to go through something later, or maybe my mom's going to go through something. So this is what we said when I was doing the Ambassadors for Healthy Minds program, is ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever you experience on your life journey might come in handy at some point. Right? I think we're just going to end things there. And <laughs> we'll have a bang. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so well, much thank for you. coming on the podcast. Um, is there any, like, we'll obviously link up all your ways to get in touch with sure. you, but what's the best one? Will it be the uh, website that's not yet done? Yeah, I, it'll probably be the website. And so my goal is to have the website. Look at this. This is what I like to do. So <laughs> a really good tactic for ADHD is create an artificial deadline. So it will be viant.ca or vivian.viant.ca it'll be in the description i'll give you the of actual course, spelling yep. of it and uh, i'll just make sure that that's up and running by the time the podcast is done and the launch date for this is hopefully going to be the end of the month and i'm hoping to have this up on the second week so if that gives you a awesome. date <laughs> as long as you're at the end of any month you just set yourself up for success there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wasn't specific but i don't want to date myself too hard why not we'll put it i'm hoping to have it done end of september Okay. So October 1st, even though I'll probably end up being like a day around there just so it's every awesome. Sunday or every Monday or whatever it ends up being. Sounds good. Thank yeah. you so much, Tristan. Thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. If you made it this far into the podcast, congratulations. Huge thanks to Vivian for having such a genuine and open conversation and for all the mentoring she has given me over the years. If you're listening to Vivian, if you're listening to this Vivian, seriously, thank you. If anyone is looking for someone to help reach their business or personal goals, I cannot recommend Vivian enough. I once described her jokingly as the closest thing I've ever found to a money printer and far, far more legal.
<laughs> Jokes aside, you can find Vivian at valiant.ca. Not going to try and spell that for you. The link will be in the description. Lastly, I just want to end this thing. This conversation ended up totally changing my life. I've since recorded another episode of her about it, so stay tuned for that in the near future. Additionally, Vivian and I are currently working on an unannounced project together, and I'll be promoting it on the podcast when it's announced, so stay tuned. Until next time, peace. <laughs>